Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites Weekly Podcast. You know what this is. Uh, I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I've got the usual crew. We have Josh Torres. Hi, hello. We have Adam Vitali. Hi, hello. <laughs> we have James Galizio. Hi, hello. And Chowman Wu. Hi, hello. <laughs> it sounds, doesn't sound right when Chow says it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I wasn't expecting that, but now I'm grinning like an idiot. Well, welcome yeah. back to another episode of the TetraCast. It's the middle of January. We've all been already very busy here at the start of the year. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of an interesting kind of news dump episode of the podcast. We are all very busy playing a lot of upcoming games and a lot of release games uh, for early in the year. Um, we're kind of limited in what we can talk about this week, but uh, we we have some people that are still playing through the Grand Blue Fantasy Relink demo. We talked about that last week. We've had a few other kind of surprise early access launches that we'll talk about this week for some games that have... Uh, kind of hit the zeitgeist out of nowhere, and a few other non-RPGs that we'll kind of spend some time talking about uh, here in the opening section of this podcast. And then, of course, we have the Xbox Developer Direct, some news coming out of that that we'll make sure we'll touch on in the um, in the second part of the podcast. But starting out, we're going to start out with uh, something that Adam's actually been playing, and I've been actually kind of watching him play for... Uh, in preparation for one of the biggest releases early in this year. So uh, Adam has been playing through the original Dragon's Dogma. And of course, if you've been following you know, the news at all, you know that Dragon's Dogma 2, the long-awaited sequel, was finally revealed in the last year and is coming out uh, in not too long. So Adam, we're going to let you have the floor to start out. And I think that this is kind of interesting because I know for me, it's been a while since I've played Dragon's Dogma. I remember having some really fond memories of it, and I've got some, you know, core vibes that I want the sequel to hit. But some of like the moment-to-moment gameplay, I was a little bit rusty on. So I think this is kind of a cool opportunity for you to talk about you playing the game for the first time in preparation for the sequel, uh, what you think about it with your, you know, you don't have any rose-colored glasses, and what you're expecting out of the sequel, um, and all sorts of all that information like that. So. We'll go ahead and hand the floor over to you to talk about your experience with the original Dragon's Dogma. Yeah, I'm playing the original Dragon's Dogma, the one that came out on PlayStation 3 in 2012. No, I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was not the Dark Arisen. Are you, are, are, are you just making fun of like the way I have You're like, is it the original? Not Dark Arisen. Uh, I'm, I'm joking. Um, well, Dark Arisen came out like right after the original. So I always think right, of Dark like Arisen a year as later. Like, like, I, I don't think of it as an add-on anymore. Right. I think that's just part of the game. Anyways. Yeah, so, so I'm yeah, playing the... the I, and if you remember, like the PC version came out like four or five years later, right? Um, it took and a while. the Switch version randomly after oh, yeah, that. I forgot it came to Switch momentarily. Like in, was, in like 2019. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm playing the PC version um of dragon's dogma dark arisen so yeah while you mentioned that i think literally everyone else on this podcast uh is playing an upcoming rpg one of them there's a lot i'm the only one who's not um but dragon's dogma has been a game that i've um always been interested in and dragon's dogma 2 look cool i'm like okay that release is in march i don't have a lot of time i need to play the first game so uh january's the first, first part of January is a little bit quiet, so I'm like, okay, this is a perfect time to play through Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen on PC. So this game, I had heard a lot about it, and one of the things I had heard about it is that it doesn't explain a lot of things early on. 
um, in terms of like what different systems do, what different stats mean, what how the pawn system works and all that. Now, luckily, I'm playing the game a decade late, so all of these resources are online to kind of explain these things. Um, but yeah, going into the game, it's sort of a, there's a cold open like prologue event, um, and that's more of a story thing than anything else. But then it really just sort of just dumps you in this game and like, pick a class, make a pawn, uh, you're going this way, and it just, you're kind of like, okay, I'll go this way. And you kind of have to learn things just by practice, which we've talked about before in other series. I actually sort of like light tutorial games, but and I have to admit, having all these like wikis and resources that I can look up things that are confusing to me are nice. But yeah, so um, Dragon's Dogma, obviously the most unique component of the game, I would say, is the pawn system. And that's tied pretty heavily into the vocation system. And now a lot of games have classes. But this game has this sort of combination of you pick and build your character's class. And then you pick and build a class for basically sort of like a sub-character, your pawn. And um, then you can summon like the pawns of other players. And I actually, one of the pawns that I found was yours, Brian, because uh, you're on my friend list. And it's like, he's like a max level pawn. And the game will allow you to do that. I don't that. remember anything about how I set him up, but I'm like, all right. I hope he, looks like, he looks like the Lord of the Rings uh, Lich King or Witch King or whatever it is. Um, the... Whatever the, what are those things are called? The ring seeker guys. Um, and that's what your pawn looks like. I don't know if you remember that at all. Uh, and Lord of the Rings fan over here. I don't know. I'm not a huge either. Lord of the Rings fan. You know, the ring guys, the ring wraiths, the king one. The, he looks like that one. Yeah, okay. uh, and uh, I, the other pawn I picked up, with, I actually learned later, was Zach's. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and there, he's also max level. So I... I I'm playing the game on hard mode, which very briefly, hard mode is hard, but you get like more experience and money. So I was reading up and apparently just it was suggested like if you can start on hard mode and just survive for a while, it ends up actually being like optimal because you get more EXP and more money. So you can kind of a little bit more flexible. I'm like, sure, I'll do that. But in order for me to get through hard mode as like a level one character, I had to rely on your max level pawn and uh, Zach's max level pawn, which is sort of, I understand, like maybe my experience of the game is a little bit weird in terms of I'm a wimp, like picking away people with arrows doing no damage while I have these two basically godly pawns just destroying everything for me. But I'm just playing this game academically. I just wanted to, to see what it's like. Um, but the game allows you to do that. So I'm doing that. Anyways, um, the, the pawn invocation systems are pretty cool. And there's, there's some of the usual things that you expect with these sorts of class systems in terms of like... Um, you level up a certain class and then you can kind of get into like an advanced version of that class um, with, you know, maybe a certain tilt on how their skills are set up and what or, or whatnot. And then you can learn augments that are basically passive skills that you can transfer between classes. So you can do some sort of cross-classing, you know, character building, coordination sort of things. Um, and then uh, there's this game has a lot. And I mean like a lot of equipment like different types of equipment that you can get and a lot of it is unique to certain classes so you have to be very like thoughtful in terms of like okay if i'm this class and i can't use these pieces of equipment i have to use these pieces of equipment and these weapons um and since there's a lot to choose from there's a lot to you know kind of manage there and all of that sort of classing character building that sort of stuff is all really cool 
And the fact that you sort of have to do it twice with your main character and your pawn is also really cool. And then the pawn system itself, uh, there's there's sort of an AI, and by AI, I sort of mean like the old use of the word AI uh, system oh, yeah. in place <laughs> where like they will learn about like the different sorts of monsters you fight and also the quests. And I was actually confused at first, like, what does this mean? Like an, a, a pawn is learning about a quest. But what that means is when that pawn is summoned from to, into like another person's game, they'll actually just point out like, hey, we need to go this way or... Uh, or I know, I know what we need to do in this quest. We need to talk to this person. Like they'll literally say that. So like your pawn and Zach's pawn would like clue me in on how to complete quests. And I think it also works with like the new game plus mode this game has also. And like, oh, that's kind of neat. Like your pawns will kind of just give you hints and tips based on how a quest works. But not only that, but also like if you're fighting a griffin, they'll tell you, they'll know this griffin is weak to fire. Actually, I don't know if griffins are weak to fire, but they know if what elements uh creatures are weak to and also like which part of the animal is like most vulnerable they'll learn that as you fight them and so there's some cool like systems in place there where my pawns are basically or your pawns are basically teaching my pawn how to fight enemies and you could actually see it in motion like uh attacking uh uh not a, a chimera from the back to, to cut off a snake tail like you'll see them doing that and there's just some cool stuff there uh the game itself it I mean this generously. It sort of feels unfinished in a way. And I think based on what we've seen and what I've heard about like design documents and things that have come out since the game's release, that's pretty much evident that there are a lot of places, thoughts, storylines, you know, even maybe whole races in the game or that were conceived for the game that weren't ever actually implemented. So I'm kind of going through this story, which has to do with a dragon shows up and I guess steals your heart and uh, is causing a bunch of havoc. And you basically are tasked to eventually take them down. And then there's like a cult in the game called Salvation that is doing nefarious things. And there's some other things, but it kind of feels sort of thin in terms of like story and also like the main questing and things like that. But it doesn't bother me too much. It How do I put this? Dragon's Dogma sort of feels like it has a high ceiling, a high potential that it never really reaches, but it also feels like it was sort of ahead of its time and some of its design and some of its structure. And uh, having come out 10, 10, 11, 12 years ago or whatever. So I guess well, some that's... of the stuff that you were discussing about the pawns was cool as shit 12 years ago. Right. It's, it's, um, pretty, it's pretty damn cool now. Yeah. And so um, I think that's where basically people like Alex or you guys or others I've seen have been, you know, clamoring for a Dragon's Dogma 2 for a while because it feels like this game uh, didn't quite... I, I'm most of the way through it. I think I'm near the end, I, although I haven't touched some of the Dark Arisen content yet. Um, it feels like it doesn't quite meet, meet like its potential, but that's where Dragon's Dogma 2 comes in, right? Where it's like, all right, this is the vision hopefully being, you know, crafted and delivered this time to meet that full potential. So I think I think I've started to started to understand playing through the original game here, its systems, its stories, its quests, like the potential and how that hopefully Dragon's Dogma 2 basically nails it um, with higher budget, maybe no uh less they don't have to cut as much in terms of their the their vision. So that's really cool. Yeah, I, I, I it's also but it's also just like it's also 
fascinating how Dragon's Dogma won uh what it managed to achieve on its own merit like not just like you know what well, i'm sure they had to compromise you know a good chunk of what their original vision was but like how how were they able to still like get everything together for such like a at the time very limited hardware because this mm-hmm. was targeting you know ps3 360 and they still managed to craft like a pretty robust open world and like and was able to like keep itself together without it completely falling apart uh, uh technical on a technical level mm. I would say I, that. I, I like, mean, I mean, it, it matters to keep itself together. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say it's a broken game. <laughs> That's well, a, no, but I do remember that Dragon's Dogma was one of those uh, PS3 360 games that ran pretty terribly. Like, so, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it didn't have the most stable performance, especially when it comes to like PS3, like what did on PS3, especially in its first four years, you know. <laughs> Anyways, so one I, thing I, I like I, about I think, the uh, I, I, I'm gonna praise that aspect of it. What I'm saying is one thing I like about the uh, like the characters in this game. There's a handful of characters. There's like Mercedes. There's Madeline. There's Julian. There's a couple of different knights. Uh, there's the princess duchess girl. And one thing I kind of like about this game is that it's it's I, and I've always liked these things. It's pretty low on exposition and dialogue. It's very efficient in like it's not a very cinematic game there are some cutscenes and there is some dialogue but not much it's not like a you know how do i put this i just like like i feel like characters like julian mercedes and the others i mentioned they're pretty well established but it's very efficient in that you know you kind of learn about them very quickly they they participate in just a handful of quests and then that's kind of like all there is to it but I, I kind of like that, where they're not just, you know, speaking endlessly or have, like, a, dunch, a bunch of exposition explaining who exactly everyone is and, like, every single thing about their character. You just sort of learn, like, bits and pieces of their characters, and they just kind of pop up here and there. Um, I just did a quest that was basically, like, a standoff between Julian and Mercedes, and you learn about the different characters, about what they've been doing in the game, and this, like, quick little, I don't know, 10-minute quest. And I just think it's sort of cool. Um... And I'm kind of curious to see like how that sort of like how this, how the sort of like cinematic cutscene storytelling dialogue how that style might transfer to the second game in terms of you know do they expand on it do they sort of keep it this sort of truncated style but I kind of like that I don't know if I'm making sense in terms of how I'm explaining this I, I think I it makes sense you're oh. you're saying like the the cutscenes aren't framed in a way where it's Oh, we have a we have an unknowing participant, the the player. Oh yes. So we gotta exactly. we we gotta we got we gotta like set up the scene so that everyone's motivation is explained in a very manufactured way. It's like it, no, it's, it's a very like like you said, it's it's like a, almost like an antithesis of like a like how cinematic storytelling is, right? It's not like you're not getting a lot of like exposition scenery shots to help set up the mood. It's kind of like very cutthroat in like the direction of a cutscene. It's like mm-hmm. bop bop bop, okay, then here's what you need to do. Okay. <laughs> Got it. And I like that the world isn't huge. Like, you can actually explore the full world map in this game in, I don't know, let's just say roughly 10 hours. Like, that's basically, after you're playing the game 10 hours, you've pretty much been everywhere. The game itself, like, if you go front to finish, I think I'm, like, 40 hours in and I'm near the end, and that seems to be about normal for the main game. Um, So I heard that, like, Dragon's Dogma 2 is four times the size of Dragon's Dogma 1, which I always sort of like whenever they explain, you know, whenever these developers talk about like how huge everything is, 
I still feel like, you know what, four times Dragon's Dogma still isn't massive, I think. Just sort of envisioning it in my head compared to some other games I've played, like, I don't know, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Yes. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Uh, uh, one thing I will say about, um, as someone that has played a bit of Dragon's Dogma 2 at TGS, it's really stri- striking how the world design is very, very different in Dragon's Dogma 2. It's very dense. Very dense. And I remember asking it to know, and he said that that was very much intentional. So I'm, I'm actually really excited to see how uh, the rest of the that game's world stacks up. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope see. it still feels dense and doesn't feel like here's a large four times swath of land between I, 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 I kind of hope it's not too dense in the sense of like I still want kind of like open areas and open fields because I, I I still think that's like one of my favorite like kind of old, like areas in the first Dragon's Dawn where it's like it's like oh man there's like this huge ass field I can see like the other side of it like I can see how mm. big this field is you know um so yeah it's gonna be really interesting to see how they how they managed to like kind of structure that whole sequel exactly like what are like what are like the hot areas on the map let's say. Like, where there's a lot of activity. Well, we're going to go from having just the one central hub to two, so I think that'll naturally help the map feel a lot larger and a lot more varied. Just have you, have you guys that. been paying so attention we'll too much to, like, the IGN monthly coverage? I've, like, seen yeah. bits and pieces, but I haven't been, like, you know... I, I see it filtered through, like, my Twitter feed, like, right. other people sharing clips, but I'm not, like, going to IGN to watch it. <laughs> So, I've, but, seen, I've seen yeah, i've been keeping up with them like i kind of just like i was like oh i said like you know it's on my recommendation thing i'll just I'll check it out i, I did see that there was an interview with itsuno and he uh, mentioned like i'm not a big fan of turn-based rpgs and grinding <laughs> and it's just like i, I mean that's uh, not surprising coming from itsuno considering like yeah. his basically his gameography but it's just kind of funny he just he's in that camp of like you know Turn-based. Disgusting turn-based. <laughs> I like Thank God real it's a relic of the past. <laughs> I'm sure he's I'm, I'm sure he's just yeah, people don't take it too seriously. Don't take it too I, I personally. Mean, yeah, but exactly. it, I just don't, thought that was amusing. <laughs> um but yeah, Look, I'm, I'm some, playing through Dragon's Dogma. Like different stuff. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I haven't mentioned. It's just got a cool style to it. Um the game is well, you gotta remember playing through it, like, oh yeah, this was a 2012 PS3 game, so it has it's kind of ugly, like the models. Um, in term, I mean, compared to like what we get today in a AAA game or whatever. So it's like, oh yeah, this game came out twelve years ago. Some of the character faces, animations are pretty robotic, but you know that's that's not really what's, a surprise. Uh, and it's not bothering me. It's just you kind of have to understand that this game where it's coming from. What's what's your vocation? What's your main pod's vocation? Okay, so. I was originally going to be a warrior, kind of basic, but then uh, I summoned Brian's pawn and Zach's pawn, and they're both warriors. I'm like, okay, I don't need a warrior. I have two godly warriors already. And so I'm like, I'll be a ranger. So I'm now shooting, I'm now a ranger. Or I think, yeah, so the first class like is a, strider, uh-huh. and then the second class is ranger. They both use like knives and bows, but I guess ranger is more focused on the bow skills, where strider is more focused on the knife skills. So I'm a ranger. I'm basically picking at people from afar. I can actually do a decent chunk of damage at this point in the game now. He has you have one skill where you can literally shoot ten arrows at once, and if you hit yeah. like a if you hit a weak spot with that, and if you have like the right element on your weapon, you can do quite a bit of damage. Like uh, cyclops are weak to electricity, 
And if you hit, if you manage to find one without a helmet and hit it in the eye, you can do it. I can almost do like a whole health bar in one shot if you aim it properly. Um, and that leads me to my pawn. I was like, okay, I have two warriors. I'm a ranger. My pawn will be a mage or a sage. Or, yeah, I think it's mage and sage. Um, right now they're, or no, it's mage and sorcerer. Right now my pawn is a sorcerer, which means they don't have healing skills. They just have a bunch of like attack and support skills. And I was like, okay, so I don't have any healers in my group, but I have a ton of money. So I just like load up on herbs and I just chow down. <laughs> who, <laughs> yeah. who needs a bug? I don't need healing. Just give me, give me a hundred herbs. I'm fine. But yeah, yeah so they to, give my main pawn five minutes. It'll one shot everything. Um, my mage actually they do spells but i find that this is maybe like a character behavior thing that's maybe could be improved um or maybe my maybe my pawn is just dumb and hasn't learned it properly yet my when my pawn does like abilities that uh give my my character and my other two pawns like elemental like buffs on their weapons that's the most useful it's like yes i have fire on my arrows now i'm gonna do way more damage to most things um but then, like, I'm fighting, I'm fighting a, a phantasm, which is a, an enemy in the game. They're basically like an element, elemental spirit, and you can basically not hurt them with regular weapons. You can in small amounts, but not really. And I'm like, all right, mage, shoot fireballs at the phantasm. And they just sort of, like, sit there, kind of, like, quipping and wandering around. I'm like, shoot fireballs. Do something. Because I can't do damage to it, you have to do damage to it, and they eventually will. But it's just kind of like I'll give you two thumbs speed up, it up. <laughs> at the first two commands. <laughs> and there, there was one time there was like a lightning phantasm, and then they did the lightning spell. I was like, no, wrong spell. Do the other one. Uh, but it, so it's just, is it bad? Is it bad if my first thought is like, if only it was Final Fantasy sixteen, then that wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, but still, like. I still feel like my kind of overall takeaway is Dragon's Dogma has some really interesting systems and a high ceiling that it doesn't quite reach. But that makes me more excited for the sequel. And it sort of feels ahead of its time, which also makes me feel excited for the sequel. So, yeah. So, uh, I'll hopefully finish it up in the next week here. I hear Bitter Black Isle, which is sort of like the Dark Arisen area, is... Because the main game... Once I got past sort of like the opening part of it, wasn't too bad. Granted, I'm relying on god level pawns. Um, although my character is pretty sufficient on their own now. But I hear Bitter Black Isle, which is the DLC Dark Arisen area, is like actually pretty difficult and somewhat frustrating. Hopefully in a good way. Um, but so like I have yet to do that, but I'm kind of waiting. I'm kind of waiting on that until after I sort of com complete the main game first. But yeah, it's a very cool game. Glad I played it. Excited for the sequel. Um, You're not going to cheat on the sequel, are you? Well, I highly, highly doubt anyone's going to have a max level pawn at, day, at launch day. But it's not <laughs> cheating if well, the game allows me to do it. Hmm. No, but no, it's it was, it's been fun to like. I've been watching you play it as you've been streaming it, and then of course talking about it with you here. You know, it's getting me more excited for the sequel because. Some of the details about some of the quests and characters that you had mentioned, I had kind of forgotten about. So it's been kind of cool to kind of brush up on that without having to play it myself. So thanks now, for doing um, that. I hear, I've heard some people like confused about like, is it a sequel? Is it like a retelling of Dragon's Dogma? Is it like an alternate world? I so <laughs> it's it's a Final Fantasy type situation where it's like an alternate, like it's it's a similar world, but it's an it's different. That's so it, what I've 
So there's what no like I've been told. So there's no like canon timeline here where Dragon's Dogma takes place at this point and Dragon's Dogma 2 takes place at this point. It's yeah. Oh. The best way this feels slightly reductive, but going off of what Itsuno has told me and also others like most recently, the most recent IGN review, and then looking at the original design documents for Dragon's Dogma, Dragon's Dogma 2 is straight up looking to be like we didn't get to put in a lot of the stuff from the original design documents we wanted to. We're just going to make this game again and try and cram as much of that in there this time. But probably no shared but, characters or maybe, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's like you can look at specific things in the design document, like the map and also some of the like uh, story progression stuff. And you can line it up with things that are quote unquote new in Dragon's Dogma 2. And it's like, okay... This is just straight up them being like, we were not able to finish the game last time. We are finishing the game this time. And it yeah. feels reductive to say that, but they've even, like, like Itsuno said things that are basically along those lines anyways. So. Well, I think that's kind of like the genius of the game, like Josh said earlier. Like, we're talking about how, you know, this is the full, fully realized version of Dragon's Dogma. But Dragon's Dogma, when it, you know, was an excellent game it doesn't feel unfinished it just feels like it has the potential to be more i guess is maybe that's splitting hairs but it well, makes I, me really excited i, I think i think i said game. earlier most gen like I, I this is more generous than i mean but it sort of feels unfinished but not necessarily in a bad way it's more like uh, yeah like, I, I, I guess the, the possible way to put it is like potential there that yeah, I, I'm just gonna be honest. Someone who's really like who played it at launch the original PS3 version, no darker is yet, and didn't look at the design docs of the game. Obviously, on day one, I was like, "This is a pretty cool fucking game." Yeah. Well, that will go on into the second game that we have listed on our podcast doc, which is not an RPG, but it is a recent release that I believe a couple of us here have either started or finished, and that is another code. Recollection. So this is a game I am not familiar with. In fact, before the podcast, uh, James and Chow were kind of teeing me up on uh, where, what this game actually is. So for, for the sake of our audience, we might need to repeat that because uh, I didn't remember if this was a DS game, a Wii game. Is this a remaster or a combination? Uh, we'll go ahead and start off with James and then we'll, uh, we'll tag in Chow uh, as appropriate. So like, what is Another Code Recollection? And have you played the original or is this your first time playing the game, James? Okay, so another code recollection is a uh, remake of uh, the original another code games on the DS and Wii. Uh, if you haven't heard of another code, you're probably an American like I am, and uh, you might be more familiar with Trace Memory, a very early DS game that was a bit of a cult classic. Uh, that was called another code in Japan and Europe, and it did get a sequel on the Wii that, in typical like. Uh, DS Wii era Nintendo of America fashion did not get localized to North America, was localized in Europe. So another code recollection is a remake of both of those games with some changes, especially in the second game, put together into one package. And uh, when I say it's a remake, because those games were on the DS and Wii, especially the first game, a lot of changes because a lot of those puzzles, because it was a bit of a puzzle game as it was a, a, ja a Japanese style adventure game. A lot of those puzzles made use of the DS hardware. So for obvious reasons, when they decided to remake these games for switch, a lot of those puzzles are completely different, completely different. 
that totally makes sense. Um, I'm kind of like the oddball that I only played the sequel. I, I did play the original like a little bit, just like the boot up the intro after beating like the sequel on the Wii. But if you if you start with a sequel like I am, like the oddball, it kind of gives you spoils like the major plot twist that occurs in the first game <laughs> immediately. So, so I guess uh, at least good thing that new audience don't have to suffer from this problem now. Yeah. So it's uh funny because um the way that this remake works is it's a remake of both games uh it very much kind of ties them together into like one game this time like you still have okay this section is the uh another code to memory section then this one is another code journey into lost memories or journey through lost memories i forget the exact subtitle those two sections are separate but you can only start from the first game. You can't immediately skip into the second game and you don't get the credits roll until you finish the second game. So like I, I do a thing where I, uh, I uh, try and beat at least 52 games a year. I still listed them as separately because they were originally separate games when they originally released. So I felt like it was fair to do that. But for the purposes of this collection, they are treating it as one large narrative which is interesting and uh i guess i'll just say that i (laughs) this was the only time i've played these games i didn't i I remembered reading about trace memory in like nintendo power and i was always like yeah that seems kind of neat maybe i'll try it one day and then by the time i would have had a chance to like it copies of that were pretty hard to come by and i just never got around to it that's so that's interesting right because my my uh, my memory of trace memory uh on ds was and there's not nothing about the game's quality. I don't know how popular it was in the West. I was just like someone who like kind of browsed game stores, you know, just like willy nilly without any thought, right? And I always distinctly saw this memory memory in bargain bins at game stores. Uh, and I don't know why. I was just like, oh, it's that game again, because it had like a very distinct, you know, title and cover. And I was like, oh, it's that's, you know, in a bargain bin again. <laughs> Yeah, it was probably one of those things. Yeah, it's probably one of those things. It's probably one of those things where a lot of like really, really niche uh, DS and Wii games had a point where they were like super, super, super cheap. But then once like all of those cheap copies like kind of left the market, suddenly the price skyrockets. It reminds me of like Solitarobo. Like I bought that game when it was like fifteen bucks. Nowadays, you don't want to know how how much that goes for. <laughs> I imagine, yeah. So I think it was a similar situation there, but um. But yeah, I, I I have no idea like what the is like is it like a, a cult classic in the West or I have no I have no, just I don't know anything about this game. I think the, the rest is like when it came out, it wasn't like as too well received. It was just more like. Oh, it's it's like it's made by the same people from Hotel Dusk, and then they go back and want to play it because they were made by the same company. That's kind of like mm. how I I see it. That's for me. Okay. Yeah. Lee, did you start playing the Switch version, or did you, have you only just played the Wii version? I only just played the Wii version. I only just got the Switch version yesterday, so I didn't have the time to try it to see you know, how it is. But you know, I I play the Wii version. I, I, it's actually very good looking for a Wii game. It's actually like one of the best Wii games look when it comes to uh, graphic fidelity over there. Um, I think the thing that I really hated about the Wii version back in the day was like some of the puzzles. It's like it's so easy, but the you know the Wii motion controls are so terrible that it's like 
you just need to twist this key to unlock this door, and then you can't you can't do the twist the Wii mode like properly and the oh, puzzle like. You know. Okay, so I I started playing this game a little bit yesterday. I'm like maybe I don't know like an hour and a half in, so I'm not too far in. But like one of the earliest puzzles you get. You do. The gyroscope one with yeah, the, the gyroscope stool. with with the, yeah, with the stool. So okay, so the basic setup is that there's not really supposed like you're go you're go, uh There's this uh, girl you play. Her name's Ashley, and you go to this island because she, uh, a, a father she thought was long dead uh, apparently sent her sent her a letter saying basically come here to this island. I'm waiting for you here. So she goes there uh, with her aunt, and um, the, her dad's not there. The island so. The, Aunt goes to investigate where he is, and then she she follows after her aunt. And then one of the earliest things that you get explore that island is hey, here's a lock gate, and then you get an introduction that like hey, the investigating on nearby items like underneath uh, like this nearby stool is like this little cage, and then you have to like kind of twist the controller uh, to get a key out, and then like. And it was like it's like one of those like puzzles where you like you have to like uh, tilt the controller one way to tilt the stool one way for the key to slide, and then eventually you have to like uh, slide it in a way so it like goes out through like a little opening. Uh, the acceleration uh, for that is kind of fucked up. That's like the is, one thing. It's like yeah, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? My controller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, here's the thing for so, and this is one of the few problems. I'm probably gonna write a. Or actually, I am gonna write a review for this. I greatly enjoyed these games. I um um quite a bit. I I really did enjoy, especially the narrative and like reading up like some of the changes they made to the second game. I actually I never played the Wii original, but looking at the changes they made, I feel like it probably was for the better because it the it really resonated with me, and I feel like thematically it better fits the type of series that another code is. But um, man. This game, it doesn't happen often, but every every like every now and then it'll be like, okay, here's a gyro puzzle. And the problem with the gyro is, is that it feels like you have to kind of overcompensate to get the acceleration going. But then once it gets going, it's like super fast. So you have to react like almost immediately and you have to overcomp. It is, it is finicky as hell. It is finicky as hell. Damn. That sounds like <laughs> a problem with the Wiimote back in the day. So there yeah. you go. They they popular emulated the the, the the Wii remote problem. Great. <laughs> I'm glad uh, that I wasn't the only one uh, feeling that problem. So it's like, oh, thank God it wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dude, I I must be like super old or something because this doesn't feel right. <laughs> maybe it's better in a handheld mode, but I played it with a pro controller, so maybe it's better if if you didn't handheld uh, yeah, mode. I, I, don't I don't know. know. I don't know, uh, but other than that, like I don't know, like I I I plan to play, you know, gradually through it. Uh, it seems like a pretty uh, interesting game. Um, I, I one of the things I remember someone mentioning about the DS version when the, when like the remakes were released, I thought this was a really cool puzzle, but the, it couldn't be emulated obviously on the Switch. It's like one of the puzzle solutions on the DS uh, uh, relied on you like tilting the the screen halfway. So it's like standing up because you're you're relying on like the reflection of like the screen to like show you like the 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 solution of a puzzle. It's like it's like relying on like light reflection with the with the screens to uh, at a right angle to like find a solution. I was like, no fucking way, that sounds crazy. <laughs> and apparently that was a real thing on uh, the original uh, game in the DS version. That reminds me of how like so many people got stuck in uh, 
Zelda Phantom Hourglass back in the day because it's like, Ooh. what the fuck am I supposed to do here? And it's like, you have to stamp the map. What's, like, how do I stamp the map? You you close your DS screen so you like connect the two uh, like pieces of fabric so that the uh, top screen like uh, gets the seal from the bottom screen. You just it's like it just reminds me how like how how creative uh, developers got with the with the DS the dual screen mm-hmm. mechanic to, to design their puzzles. You know, like you know nine 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 was an like you know, an infamous example of that. Like just turn your DS upside down and start crying. Yeah, come on. <laughs> well, when I was visiting home for the holidays, my brother was actually working on the um, Pokedex for Scarlet and Violet, and you still have to hold the switch upside down to uh, evolve Inky. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, I haven't done the uh, just this is a tangent, but have James, have you played the epilogue for Scarlet and Violet that they added like this month? I haven't played it yet. I have I don't not know played it yet. I have not. Right. I, I'm basically like tapped out of uh, Scarlet that's, and Violet that's... now. That's that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I was like, maybe I'll boot it up, and then um, it never did. Eventually, yeah. But yeah, uh, another code uh, recollection is very good, uh, except for when it asks you to use the uh, motion controls, in which case it is uh, maybe not so good. But in a way, that kind of just is. It's faithful. What, yeah, it's like when you're remaking again, it's so much of this is different because obviously the DS game is completely different now. It's like ground up remake, same with the Wii game, but you still get those feelings of the DS and Wii in, in pockets when you play through this. And it's like, oh man, it's not the same thing, but it has the vibes. Some people call it soul. Yes, this game has soul. Uh, <laughs> the, the soul and vibes. Do absolute, of my absolutely do not. Work, yeah, right? abs- <laughs> absolutely do not look up the credits until you've actually played the game yourself. But this game's like credit sequence is probably the most soulful credit sequence I've seen in like a cool minute. It's so good. It's so well, good. I, I remember the Wii credits. It was actually like a pretty memorable scene, and you feel like, oh, do I get more? And then you're like, oh wait, never mind. It's over. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it, I'm glad that uh, Nintendo has uh, been like greenlighting these sorts of uh, remakes of their like classic adventure game catalog. I did really enjoy Famicom Detective Club, and I did enjoy this. And it's like they're uh, hopefully like Hotel Dusk and like uh, the sequel gets a similar situation because it's very much the same thing. Where like North America only ever got Hotel Dusk and didn't get the sequel that was on the DS. So it'd be neat if uh, they ended up doing uh, like a ground up remake for those as well, though. I don't know how well this will sell. Hope if it if it sells well, I feel like this game. The only way it would be successful is if it did well in Japan, because I just have a feeling it's not going to sell super great in like North America and Europe, which is a shame. I think it's also just like it's one of those things. Like I, I barely heard about this game, and it was like announced, and like I, I didn't know it was coming out until like this week. I was like, oh, that's right. And I just, I feel like it also just hasn't been marketed at all too well either. Granted, I don't think I don't think it has a large audience. Yeah, I don't think it has a large audience. Yeah, I don't think the extra marketing would have helped too much. I feel like they did just enough to make people that would want to know about it know about it. And uh, they're letting like word of mouth uh, handle the rest, which I can't even blame them for it. And I-, I will say the remake looks really good, but you can tell that they were very smart 
with uh, the budget of it. Like there, it looks good, but you can tell oh, that yeah. it's, the, it's the, not like a yeah. It's it, not it's like a, very, a huge, it's a very limited. They're, they're yeah. got a very limited like resources. Like because you know like like they they spent a lot on the visuals, but like the actual like movement of like the character feels stiff and what's slow. Like, yeah, I, I, I love. Heard, uh, I, second I, game. Yeah, I will say one thing. I will say one thing. If you're going to play this remake, very first thing you're want to you're gonna want to do, go into the options, set the camera speed to like at least twice the default, probably more because the uh, default yeah, I put it, camera I put it like seventy to eighty, like immediately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the no. the default camera speed is so slow, so bad, so bad. It's like. I, but, you... I, but for me, for me, that's like standard in any game, though. Like usually, I put yeah. like uh, the like the default like like uh, movement speed of the camera, like usually like two to three notches up from like the default. Yeah. So this one is just even more. Yeah, it's I, I was like going to say like the storyline was didn't they they cut down the second game storyline by a lot or something like that? I heard they that got rid they got rid of some of the padding and they uh, very heavily rewrote uh, a few characters. So. If you're coming into this having played the second game and expecting a one-to-one remake for the story, that is not what you're going to get. Now, most of the people I've talked with that have played this, uh, played through the story so far, like I know Colin did because he wrote the review for Nintendo Insider and like a few other folks. Generally, people seem to agree so far that the changes they made to the second game are good, but they are different. So I can't blame anyone that's, that ends up disappointing in that. So just a heads up. Well, thank you, James. And uh, also to Chow for talking about your time with the remaster for another Code Recollection and the original DS and Wii games. Not, not really an RPG, but kind of in the same sphere of, you know, adventure game, puzzle games that we sometimes cover on the site. The third game that we have listed here I must have been living under a rock because I didn't hear about this game until this week. And now it feels like it's everywhere. We're talking about Pal World. So I'm not I'm going to just very, very, very quickly tee this up and then hand it over to Josh, who might actually know what we're talking about. This game released in early access. My understanding is that it's like a hardcore monster catcher like open world game that's already like sold two million early copies. And yeah. one of those is Josh. Yeah, I got peer pressure to do buying this game. You know, since yeah, this is not a game we've covered on the site. It's yeah, not a game that I then, was aware of that was releasing yeah. this month. This is a game I wasn't expected to even like buy or like or anything. I was like, oh, okay, I'll I, give it a yeah. shot. And then I'll I will say, same boat. Yeah, I will say one thing. I feel like it's worth noting is that as we are recording this podcast, like as of right now. Uh, Pal World is uh, getting into some uh, shit where it's like apparently the developers have admitted to using like generative AI in their other games to try and avo- like skirt copyright, and now people are like looking at a bunch of these like pals I, I, and I, seeing I mean, and there, there's and, yeah, there's definitely I, I I don't know if there's like it's like it's like one to one plagiarization, but there's definitely similarities between some of these pal designs and Pokemon. Like I. I Look, I can't. I can't speak to their development process, so you know, I, what can I say? You know, I, I don't know anything about how they how they developed this game. I know that like their last game was Craftopia, and that didn't. You know, it was that uh, Craftopia in the same way, in a similar manner, is like 
it's kind of like a lot of chefs in this uh in the same kitchen where like it tried to be everything it definitely had it definitely ripped off you know breath of the wild uh plus fortnite plus genshin plus whatever name your favorite farming simulator like it definitely tried to be everything so in terms of like this pal world uh news of like they might have used it they might have done something in the development of these pals that like you know might have taken something for pokemon i can't speak to that i don't know you know yeah um well if anything concrete comes on that we'll we'll yeah. keep it on our on the back burner to, to yeah. make sure we bring it up once once something is if anything well, yeah comes out of that yeah. the good yeah, thing to bring up as yeah i just figured it was worth at least mentioning so mm. yeah so um but it like but this game's like really like in terms of like its gameplay it's definitely not like pokemon with guns like even though on its on its face obviously that's the, what the, a lot of the marketing was there's more akin to like something like an arc uh survival evolved or some shit where it's like it's very much like you're in like this kind of uh, open world and you kind of start out with nothing kind of look like a a cave person and you you start out by like hey hitting trees hitting rocks and uh building a base and then uh the the loop of the game is you basically uh catching these pals and then having them work at your base to generate resources and meeting goals uh to further upgrade that base so you can uh build more uh, advanced stuff to uh generate more resources and to give you new equipment like new armor new uh, weapons new options so eventually you know you'll go from like you know clubs to bows to spears eventually obviously to guns and then so you kind of have to work uh, up uh, technologically uh through base advancement on that um so i i think it's just like it's a I, I put like five to six hours into it i wasn't sure how i was gonna like really like it but i think it has a really enjoyable gameplay loop especially when you're just chatting with friends um like in the same server so like I have, i'm playing the server with some friends and they're kind of doing their own thing i kind of doing my own thing and now i've now got into this like uh visceral loop now where i'm trying to find find this like specific pal uh that you can mount um so and i unlocked like the harness to mount it but one of the traits that this pal can have is like swift or run or something and like it goes way faster if you mount uh, uh, uh that same pal but with that trait so now i kind of like doing this fucking thing that like pokemon people do we're like i need to capture this this specific pal with this specific specific trait and i'm really and like i'm scouring the world like hunting down this pal and hoping that when i capture it it has that trait on it because it goes so much faster if it has that trait um and you know it, it, it has that the, those similar open world mechanics that breath of the wild does where it has the stamina like the semicircular stamina meter for, for climbing up stuff you have the hang glider um and then like obviously um uh, some some of these pals you can ride uh throughout the world that even like the fly flying ones you can build a harness for them to fly on them but you need to have like the technology you need to have reached like the technology free tier to unlock it and then so you can craft the harness um for it so i mean it's a, it just has like a really satisfying loop if you're into the the type of those like survival uh games and uh base building management like right now i have a very simple base that have like i have some of these pals working on a farm mining rocks um uh, chopping trees down 
And then if they if they if they if they get tired, they have hot springs for them to go chill in. And this and, and the way I had to make these hot springs was like so one of the ingredients for the hot springs was like uh, it's called pal fluid. And the way you get pal fluid is sometimes it drops from like pals you kill out in the wild. So the implication is the hot springs are filled with like the bloodier enemies, pretty much. It's like all right, cool, hardcore. Uh, uh huh. And and then uh, uh, as you see in the trailers too, you can eventually unlock like partner actions for pals. So some of them like you can like uh, mount as like you can pick them up and like they have like a machine gun that like uh, they have, or some of them have like maybe missiles on them. Um, and like and one of like the upgrades for one of mine is like, hey, you can use this instead of like the shitty hang lighter that you have. You can like use this pal instead uh, to be your hang lighter. And I assume they'll be a more effective. Uh, pal. So it is, you know, it's it's nothing like revolutionary in that field of like how Ark does it of like this resource um, gaining resources, building up a base, and meeting um, objectives to like build a better base to get more advanced technological trees. And then eventually you can like go up to these towers and I assume fight whatever like the gym leader equivalent is in the game for these boss battles. But it's just kind of like a like an easygoing game to kind of like chill in. It doesn't have to be like anything like super like violent or torturous. Or, and you know, I'm sure you did, I'm sure there's be a lot of like discussion of like you know, or, or there already is of like how much is this ripping off Pokemon? How much am I trying to do this? It's like like sure, there might be like the, the, there might be some sh- maybe shady practices in development that I did I, I didn't know about when like you know getting to this game. I mean, hopefully people can, hopefully developers can, like, clarify on that and sort that shit out. I, I can't speak for them. I'm not their fucking PR person. I'm just kind of got peer pressure to buying this game and playing it. I'm like, hey, it's having a pretty fun time, you know? Okay, what can I say? Is the game, like, completely sandboxy, or is there, like, a, a, a story that you're strung along for, or how does that work? It, it, like, it's pretty sandboxy. It's not, like, it's not, like, super narrative-driven. I mean, like, the... The narrative is like this. The one of the first NPCs that like you can talk to is like this place is like a living hell with all these pals or whatever. But it's not, there's not really a story to it. Like maybe they'll add one down the line because it's still the, like there's still early access. There's still day one early access, not actually the full release right. uh, of it. There seems to be a lot of content in it already, but there's not like it's not like it's not like story driven like Pokemon is right. Where hey, you have a very distinct characters and the distinct like objectives to like work towards this like story driven sort of deal there's more sandboxy and as of at this moment based on the steam uh stats seven hundred thousand people are playing right now uh, yeah that, that's not even counting game pass people also yeah oh so. that's a good point yeah so yeah. uh pretty crazy and we'll kind yeah. of track and see like how how Long this fad, you know, is it a fad? I guess I won't. I won't declare it that. I, I, I mean, like, right like, away, like but... uh, yeah. I mean, I, I got my twenty five dollars worth or whatever. Like, it's like twenty five, mm-hmm. twenty six dollars on Steam. And, like, I feel like I already got my money's worth on on this game. As like, you know, I'm waiting for like bigger releases, uh, you know, incoming. But it's like, you know, there's kind of like a fun time waster, you know, just to kind of fiddle around with and interacting, like you know, with you know their own version of Pokemon, obviously, and how they utilize them. And, and and some of it is pretty clever. Like I will say, it, some of it is is pretty interesting how they, uh, how they kind of use like distinct like Pokemon features and 
how that would if let, let's say if Pokemon were in the real world, obviously if Pokemon were real, they would be put to work. How would you, how would like the real world world put them into labor? Let's say if, uh, based on like the features, their characteristics, you know. And this game has some ideas about how they would do that. If Pokemon were real. Well, it's a curiosity that we all, you know, when this game started blowing up, so kind of good to get a a brief look in here to at least give it a quick look in and see if it has any sort of staying power or if what comes out over the next week based on the accusations regarding the art. The last uh, game that we have listed here before going into the news is something that we talked about uh, either last week or the week before. We had, obviously, the new trailer for the upcoming expansion for Final Fantasy XIV Dawn Trail, and James and Chow had mentioned that there was probably going to at least be one more somewhat major-ish, moderate patch before then, and that, I guess, just came out in the last week, patch 6.55. So, James, for us that don't play Final Fantasy XIV, is is this like the last major pre-Dawn Trail patch, or is this like a series of patches that are leading up into it? Uh, Okay, and then just... Just lay it down. What what does this patch do to prepare players for the new expansion coming out this summer? So basically, the way that 14's uh, patch cycle has worked for years at this point is that in the lead up to a new expansion, obviously, 14 has the whole patch cycle where you have the 0.1 patch, the 0.2, the 0.3, the 0.4, and the 0.5. The 0.5 patch for each expansion is split into two halves. The first half will have the dungeon and the like trial that's expected and then a couple of the last bits of quests will be segmented off for a later patch closer to the release of the next expansion and that'll be the truly okay this is directly setting up what's going to happen next so patch 6.55 has a bunch of stuff from dawn trail like directly setting it up like uh, Kryle, one of the main characters from Endwalker, ha- uses the new Pictomancer job in a cutscene, and literally it's just showing off. Yeah, this is going to be a new job in Dawn Trail. There's a new character, uh, look Lamont. I don't, I probably absolutely butcher, uh, butchered that who is a, a female Rothgar, which is going to be new for Dawn Trail. So it's one of those things where it's just, yeah, it's just um, a bunch of stuff directly tying into the new expansion. There's like little bits and pieces. We're learning more about uh, the uh, new area you're going to go to in a couple of months. And it's just, uh, it's not a very big patch. Most of the major content came with 6.5, which was a few months ago, but it's just uh, it's the last like a bit of, yeah. Like. The last bit of housekeeping is basically the dev's way of saying, okay, here's all this information that you probably already saw if you've been keeping track with um, FanFest and the live letters and whatnot. But assuming that there are players that don't engage with that and only like, like look at the game itself, obviously you need to have this in the game too to kind of like tie it together narratively. And uh, 6.55 is that like narrative tie from post Endwalker main scenario into Dawn Trail? So it's not just like a it's so it's so it's a seamless transition. 
You know, I think this Thanks, is the first man. time that a patch, like the well, final patch, didn't end with some kind of o- ominous feeling. It's kind of like a chill ending. It's just like, oh, like no, no. The most ominous. Trade. The most ominous thing is like, hey, so I guess slight spoilers for six point five five. Though it's something that like is the entire nexus for Dawn Trail. They've mentioned uh, someone from the New World, Wuklamot. Wants you, the uh, Warrior of Light, to help her with her like um, goal to uh, secede the th- the throne from her father, her adoptive father. And uh, there is a little stinger where it's like pretty much all of the scions are ending up in the New World, either on like either directly helping with Lamont or separately. And and a couple of the scions seems um seem like. They have been tasked by a different person vying for the throne to basically be, do the same thing, but for someone else. So that's basically the only bit of like tension we have heading into this expansion. And it's very clear from the get go that there's no like, like the other scions are work that realize they're going to be working for someone else. They harbor no ill will. They're just like, this seems like it might be interesting. So. It's, so it seems like it's more of a, a localized conflict rather than a world-ending one. They're trying to they're trying yes, to shrink yes. the stakes based on com- compared to Endwalker, which was like the stakes couldn't possibly be higher. Yeah, but they said that they made it very clear that they that uh, they are going to eventually like build the stakes again, but they're like not immediately like hitting like the pedal to the metal. They're trying to make it an understandable like escalation after this reset, so it's not immediate. Which is probably the smart way of handling things. Yeah, for, I mean, for long-term like, storytelling, it makes more sense. So it took like seven years to get to Endwalker, so we got seven years for the stake to reach the same levels again, I guess. Yeah. And we're in a long ride, I guess. But yeah, so uh, very... Hmm? I was going to say, last time we had talked about this on the podcast, you had kind of mentioned that you're between patch lull, which is like expected before an expansion. You had an update here. Are you guys going to like... Is there any sorts of tasks in the game that you're going to be logging in before the expansion, or at this point, you're just kind of doing the update and then the expansion will come out this summer. And that's when you're going to go, go all in. Yeah. I don't think there's anything specific I want to do. Like maybe I want, I, if I could find a group, I might go back and do the last savage tier that I wasn't able to because of, um, it dropping a week before summer game fest. So I wasn't able to get a static. And by the time I, I was actually able to devote time to raiding uh party finder was a mess so i was like i'm not doing this <laughs> I, I hear too uh, many horror stories that they most people can't get past the second fight in this one somehow yeah, they made so, the second fight the hardest yeah so like so chow like obviously raids too do you think i made the right decision just kind of punting yeah i say you made the right decision yeah and it's like you know also uh, also one thing that people kind of say about the uh last tier and an expansion is that for the first two tiers like the gear means something because it's like oh well you can use that gear in like other content like you might for example like the first uh and second savage tiers for endwalker you could use the gear in the ultimate fights and i did so you were all like you were you had something to build up towards there is no ultimate fight that requires bis from the third savage tier. There is no content that requires bis from this from this most recent savage tier. So there's not really that much of a reason to do that gear grind outside of the fights themselves. 
which I'm sure they're great, but it's less of a priority now because it's like, well, there's there's nothing really at the end of that like uh, grind that really feels fulfilling because as soon as Dawn Trail comes out, that bis is going to be worthless anyways because you're immediately going to have higher like eye level equipment. So yeah, usually most gears this goes completely irrelevant as soon as the next uh, expansion drops. I I also think like that, that patch. I think like with the new was it the new uh, relic weapons? I think it was too easy to get, so they kind of try to overcorrect like Boja from from the earlier expansion. Yeah. And I'm not sure like what is the correct choice here. It's like it, it's like you had it too easy, so it doesn't feel like an accomplishment anymore. But when you have it too grindy as well, it's also like, huh. Like, I don't know where how they would get something that would satisfy their player base from here. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, not a huge patch, just, uh, something for, to kind of, uh, wet the appetite, uh, wet, uh, players' appetites as we, uh, now ha- have to wait for, uh, I'm guessing about six months for, uh, Dawn Trail to release. Uh, I guess that's the last lingering question. Like, at what sort of event will they would they announce a release date? I would imagine that we will probably get a preview event for Dawn Trail in either late April or early May, and that will be when the release date is finalized. So I would not be shocked if give us like two and a half, three months, and we'll probably get an invite to whatever. We're, that sort of like whatever form that preview event takes. And at that preview event is when they finalize details for what the exact release date for the game is. That would be my guess. Well, thank you, James and Chow for covering the current ongoings for final fantasy 14. And we'll obviously report as soon as we know details about the release of the expansion. And that covers us for the games we've been playing section of this podcast. And we'll go into the new section here. The The major event this week was the Xbox Developer Direct. Um, but we do have a few other things that kind of came out uh, in terms of like business strategy for both Square Enix and uh, Embracer Group. More on that later. Before we go into the news, there was one feature up on the site that I did want to shout out because it was a major factor of our Game of the Year cast. Uh, Adam did formalize his thoughts and wrote up a review for uh, a pretty strong game from last year wandering sword so adam you don't have to go through in detail because we talked about this game at length on the podcast but when you took the time uh, on the game of the year podcast i mean to write up the review do you have any like concluding thoughts on wandering sword when you put your your final review together um it's pretty much if you listen to our game of the year cast it's pretty much just what we what i said about it at the time just sort of written up um, basically I think it's like system design is very unique and that was sort of the, uh, crux of my review where it's like at a glance when you look at it and I know I thought this when I first saw it, it's like, oh, it's just Chinese Octopath or whatever, you know, just, um, you know, a knockoff, it's a, a copycat, you know, whatever, but it's very unique in its mechanics. And we talked about this in terms of specifically how you gain abilities and how you like progress your character. I haven't really played a game with a similar sort of system. Um, And the open-ended nature of it is very cool. And those are the things I highlighted and praised. Uh, I do think the weaknesses of the game are more in like, um, 
user interface, its polish, its presentation in some ways in terms of like the user interface and the controls and the menus and the battle can be a little bit weird. Um, and also some of the dialogue and some of the localization is a little bit, it's not terrible, but it's not great. So basically strong systems and strong mechanical design, uh, maybe a little bit clunkier in terms of like presentation and um, controls and UI, but still a very, very strong game. And it was our top, one of our top five games last year. Uh, none of us just had gotten to it at, re at release because it was a really, really busy September and October and November last year. But just wanted to get a review up. And honestly, they're still updating the game. So sitting on it for a couple months wasn't even the worst you know, option anyway because they're still updating it. So that's always cool to see yeah. that it's it'll get it'll, it'll be even better months from now hopefully like to be honest like if we, if adam or i like review this game on day one when it came out it probably would have been a different tune because the, there was some pretty fundamental quality of life changes they added uh, between their their launch and like no world map <laughs> like the just getting around the world map yeah go to this town it's like i have no idea where that is well you better start learning <laughs> you better start you better start drawing out your own map then oh yeah i've done that before mm -hmm. it's always fun well we'll go into the news section of this podcast first we'll talk about some new trailers and new details of some upcoming games starting out with probably the most anticipated game of the year final fantasy 7 rebirth uh, we got a new trailer for this. They're not calling it a launch trailer, but it feels like a launch trailer. It's a titled trailer called Destined for Rebirth. And they're, it's they're gonna uh, have a launch trailer and it's just gonna like have the ending cutscene in it, because that's what Square Enix does. Yeah, so they yeah probably. Yeah, and the, the trailer showcases, you know, a lot of events from the original game, a lot of things you could speculate from. Pretty pretty much with every Final Fantasy VII Rebirth trailer, like we kind of stay, you could go line by line and go pretty heavy on the speculation. Uh speculation about what's going to be the same what's going to be different we have no idea um in terms of what the game will do based on the ending of the first uh they they're alongside the trailer sorry i'm just kind of tripping over my words here a little bit we did get a lot of details about the two new party members well one real new party member with kate sith then also uh, how yuffie is incorporated into the cast as well uh we also got some new renders that are basically up-to-date versions of like renders for kate sith Ketchy, Kate well, Sith. I keep going back and oh, forth. No. Kate Sith is what it officially oh. is now. So no. Well, the, the, what was it? The Western branch said it's Kate Sith, but then um, the, the pronunciation is practically the same as or equivalent Ketchy. to the Celtic one or whatever. Uh, Reese's uh, Reese's cat Moogle doll. Uh, Anyways, mm -hmm. uh, we and we know from the earlier trailers that Vincent will be uh, in the game as well as Sid, but we the details from this newsletter are just how Yuffie and Ketchi perform in combat. Uh, got some new uh, English voice actors for characters like Elena, which is kind of nice nice to see. But yeah, we're just very very deep into the marketing cycle for this game, uh, and they're gonna have a launch trailer like Adam said in all in all likelihood. I think uh, it's really funny. It's really funny the artwork for Yuffie. Is like for their pose and looking down. It's clearly a callback to like one of like the most iconic Yuffie art uh, artworks from the original. But that that was set in Wu Tai. But they don't have Wu Tai in this game, so they have so they have to make the environment not Wu Tai. And it was kind of emblematic mm -hmm. too because it's like her like looking over her hometown as well <laughs> in that artwork. But since now it's like here's some mountains. Yeah, it's something like that with like the Eris. I mean Eris 
artwork. It's like she sees the high wind back. Yeah, then, and like, then, you know, it's like she, she's dead wind. before the high wind appears. You know. And, yeah, but the, but then, yeah, the, but the, yeah, but just like knowing like the context of that is like, uh it's it's definitely like less impactful than like the original artwork. Well, to be clear, these artworks that they're putting out, if you haven't caught on, they're redone versions of classic artworks. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. They, there's no there may there may not be any more meaning to it than that just yeah it's it's obviously homages right but obviously right. because because like the the, the this butai is confirmed not to be in this installment they can't incorporate that into her artwork but like for the um, remake like for the era of artwork they did one version with just the sky like without the highway in the background and then somehow in reverb they added the version with the highway in the background just like the og ff7 so I don't know. Maybe we'll get to see the highway. Maybe. Well, we'll see. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of. I was gonna say, there's one 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 last question I have. Yeah. You know, like the Japanese voice actress for Elena. Does he does she had a voice before, or no? This is like new. Was Elena or... ever in any other media like... where they were voiced? I don't I, know. Yeah. Maybe I, I, I don't know how to keep up. Did she, did she did children, in, maybe? She did, did she appear in Advent Children? Maybe as a cameo. I don't, I don't remember. I, do, I don't fucking remember Advent Children, dude. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, you know, like, her Japanese voice, like, the current Japanese voice for her, uh, I think it's Megumi Toyo Uchi or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's the same, the reason they got her is because she voiced the main character in Before Crisis. Uh, like, the girl main character in Before Crisis, which is an older sister. That's why I got her to do the voice for her. I forgot that was the link between them. It's that's like, right. Apparently that's the reason, I guess. It's like, there's a there's a Elena lookalike, which is her older sister, mm-hmm. that you would never get to see with the same voice. Well, I mean, you know, but she gets added into um, the mobile game. Ever I forgot Crisis. its name. Ever Crisis. And Before Crisis is added into that, then you can, you can go make the link there. Damn. <laughs> I remember one once upon a time I was so excited for that, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> for whatever crisis, you were I don't know. Just... From... <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean, I, 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 I get, I, I, yeah, I get it. Yeah, because the, the, there was there was something novel about hey, we're gonna put like the compilation of FF7 into like one one thing, and it's gonna be ongoing. I'm like, okay, yep. there could be something there. Yeah, I feel you. I think we kind of covered everything that's covered in the trailer and the news post. Like we we see cl- glimpses of like the Junon March. Um, there's obviously been some press previews with the the fight at the port with the Terror of the Deep or whatever they call it. So that that like that that whole fight's already on YouTube from the preview events. Um, I guess one one little nugget that people have already kind of called out uh, is that you know you you can play the game with Cloud not in the party. Uh, yeah, which is kind of, you know right. a difference from the from the base game where Cloud always had to be there. So that's kind of you know matches the more open nature. Good. Of Cloud's the, like the a game. dead weight. No, yeah. Cloud's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, and lots of of course uh, if you go to our news post uh, on the website, lots of new screenshots of the mostly f- primarily focused on Yuffie and Ketchy um, in battle. We also got another kind of news post update for the upcoming Unicorn Overlord. So it seems like the posture that they're taking on these updates uh, from VanillaWare is that we'll get kind of like a newsletter update. Then we got that first of what I presume is going to be a series of trailers with that, uh, what they call Yosef's Guide, where they talked about the map exploration. So now we kind of got another um, website update. 
talking primarily about characters and classes and how classes update. And I don't want to boil it down too much, but it really does just have a lot of kind of, at least the way, the way, the way they're describing it is a lot of direct analogs to Fire Emblem. I don't. I I, I want to be able to talk about this game in more context than it's it's like Fire Emblem, but but they discuss the way that they tee up the, how the classes work and how they promote. It is kind of the natural analog. I mean, uh, ogre battle. About... <laughs> like, to, to me, it's just like that. Really, I'm just like I just think of ogre battle. <laughs> mm. So I mean, people people are free to do the Fire Emblem comparisons. I'm just like, but you look at gameplay, but it's like it's anything but Fire Emblem. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say the reasons like uh, that you know Fire Emblem's more recent, so it's more. I mean, yeah, most people have played Ogre Battle. That's really, you know, it's absolutely true. So when they, people think of tactics, they're like, oh yeah, like Fire Emblem. Oh yeah, like FF tactics. Well, why? Well, I meant I meant more like the class promotion. Is, is that is that how it works in Ogre Battle as well with the uh, the advanced class using a key item? Yeah, yeah. You can promote oh, okay. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. I, I I mean I, I get it like people like people that's one that's their their only frame of reference so I'm not gonna hold it, hold it again. I think I think it's really cool to see like like some real class variety. They already said that like in in this like um, press update that um, there's gonna be over sixty classes and mm-hmm. some of the some of the ones that some of the cool ones they showed like you know you have your standard like you know gladiators and hunters. Uh, you know, and you have this cool, and you know, your typical like, classes. Yeah, but now you have like like some really unique ones, like you know, wyvern knights, uh, griffin knights, but also you have like uh, non-human races, like uh, elven fencers and werewolves. You know, like see, like the real, the werewolf thing is really cool because like they're, they're like they're not even just like typical werewolves. They like they use their claws. They are they're actually like geared up and like like use like weapons. Like and that's kind of you like you know pretty. Pretty novel and unique, to like yeah, because the the typical fantasy depiction of a werewolf is like they're naked and they just go feral, right? So it's kind of seen to see armored werewolves, and then like they have, of course, they have a trait where like they're they're powered up at night. Uh, so this werewolf's wearing like a uh, like a like a kilt, but yeah. with a spot for their tail. That's kind of funny. Yeah. The only werewolf I, I know is the Darkstalkers ter- <laughs> werewolf stuff. John Talbain. John Talbain. So? Yeah. yeah, he still has the pants on. Yeah, I like the feather bow and feather sword. They're kind of like flying infantry. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it, I'm it, more it, curious about the angels. Like, I just wonder how they work because in Ogre Battle, the angels was like really important because in the storyline, like the main villain like kidnapped an angel to basically trying to infiltrate. Like, I think it's like the divine army or some shit. It's this is like or something like that. I, I forgot what the exact details were, but I, yeah. I just want to know how the angels work in in Unicorn. I'm curious about to stay since they now like you know we we now have a glance of like hey there's actually like maybe a day night system in this game because of the werewolf being powered up at night like how is like state of day how is the time of day like working is it like real time like in game or is it like or it's like is it phases of the game where the where it's dictated by the plot of like what the state of the day? I think it might follow the ogre battle structure where like every like couple turns, like the night and day cycle just keeps moving. Yeah, I I think that's what I'm thinking too. Um, yeah, you might you might be right on that. They also went over like you know the leaders and having you know different classes will have different leader effects. Like House Carls, for example, can break gates and barricades uh, more easily with their leaders. Uh, so maneuverability will be uh, key, and how you how basically how you structure your squads will be um, obviously going to be always important, but obviously. Like 
depending on their leader, their maneuver maneuverability in battle will be affected by uh, what kind of unit is in that slot. You know, so like if you're like you're in a slot that like has like a certain leader type, that means that their their time uh, their time before they get into the action will be directly affected, right? So if you want a, a certain unit to be at the at the forefront of battles more easily, they have may, they might have to compromise with like maybe. Uh, maybe a weaker leader to get through, like you know, obstacles faster. For example. Yeah, that sounds like an ogre battle. Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, movement types, you know, inf infantry, cavalry, uh, and flying. Um, infantry and cavalry are, very, are pretty self-explanatory, but they're they both can like travel through roads much faster than off-terrain. But the main thing is like infantry has a consistent speed between road and off-terrain, while cavalry. Will be faster on the roads, but will get hindered by like forests and stuff. So, um, you know, that'll be something to consider. Obviously, flying uh, can bypass terrain, and then as Brian mentioned earlier, they showed off how um, the promotion works in this game as well. And they they gave the example. Of the only the only example points. they give is the is the hero. I think yeah. right, unless I missed the, it. The lord, the high lord. Uh, the, 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 the lord becomes a mounted lord, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, but I mean, like you see, but you see in one of the screenshots, you see like all the uh, like all, like a lot of other unit types that like are in the promotion. Um, yeah, and on the left hand of the window there. Yep. Yeah. So. So yeah, uh, auxiliary I mean, battles. Basically, mm -hmm. there are limited or limitless battles against. They call them phantom soldiers. So like lingering phantoms. So you can so you can train up you know units that are behind if you want. Uh, there's some items that are like the EXP candies in the Pokemon games, so if you have someone that's behind, you can kind of use items to kind of get them up to snuff. Uh, they talk a little bit about that, and I think it kind of covers it. Yeah, and then you know, some some more characters, so some more uh, a little bit more enemies. We, have, we haven't actually seen too many of the enemies until now, so it's nice to see more mm. of them. One of them's like a necromancer, which is cool. Hopefully, that means we get we can like recruit a necromancer too. I would like if a I necromancer class. <laughs> Remember, in, like in the original Ogre Battle, like the strongest things that you could use is like a ghost or something. Oh yeah, so they're like the most yeah. broken tier class in the original Ogre Battle. Because 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 they because the uh, enemies get disadvantages uh, when they're when they're attacking them, right? Because of their special properties. But, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I have one last question for you for when this mm. game comes out. Do you think this game will start with a turret opening scene and ask you these stupid questions like, "Who will you <laughs> rescue at the burning house? Your wife, your daughter?" I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> to determine your stats. That'd be so sick, actually. Uh, that would make sense if you're trying to determine Elaine's stats. I, I could fucking see it. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty exciting. Fuck. The the more they like show off of this, it's like, man. It it really it really starts itching that part of my brain of like optimizing like battle parties and like thinking about like okay this this is what I want specific parties to do and what they what they consist of. It really scratches that part of my brain. The next two news bits before we go into more trailers, uh, basically out of that Xbox showing, uh, we're not. We're not a business site, and I wouldn't want to pretend to be, but these are kind of like our business slanted focus, talking about some RPG developers and publishers. Uh, Adam was the one that put these together, and he does a real good job of really detailing out uh, what is like the history uh, of these news posts and what is the key information and factoid today. We'll start, Adam, with the Piranha Bytes um, news. So this is information that has kind of been translated from a German uh, outlet. 
And before I misrepresent it, I'll just go ahead and hand it off to you because we had a little bit of this news last week about like what might have been up. And this is kind of the the up to date status of Piranobytes and Embracer. All right. So Piranobytes, if you're not familiar, they're a relatively small German studio, but they've been around a long time, like 25 years. Um, they are probably most, most known still for the Gothic series, which is especially popular and almost seminal in Europe as like, you know, key RPGs in the history of RPGs of, of the, you know, that style. Um, I've never played Gothic, but I know uh, people really uh, praise like their questing and their worlds and like world design and things like that. And then the, this developer has also made the Risen series back in like the PS3, Xbox 360 era, as well as the most recent uh, LX or Elex games, one and two, which you played. And mm -hmm. um, they're a German studio. I think they only have like around 50 people or so in that ballpark. So they're relatively small. And um, they came out with Elex a couple of years ago. You reviewed it. It seems like your opinion, as well as like the general response to it, was like Elex one was, you know, maybe a bit unpolished, but was, you know, surprisingly good in various ways, but Elex 2 kind of felt like a disappointment. Um, but anyways, uh, Pranabytes, over the last couple of months, there's already been some murmurs about like, what are they doing? Because uh, I suppose their YouTube channel had like suddenly gone silent and they usually had pretty regular updates on there. And also their website no longer was like functional. It just had like their logo and basically like what's going on. And then also there was like a German finance funding site that like delisted one of their projects that was listed on there. Um, although I guess it's come back since the, since in, in the time since. But regardless, a German podcast, which is known as The Pod, or it's like gamespodcast.deutsch, um, it's, it's ran by two uh, editors who were formerly at GameStar, which is basically the biggest German website. Uh, we're not German speaking, you know, here, so I don't know anything about these, you know, I've heard of these places, but I'm not very familiar with, you know, their operations, but they ran a special episode of their podcast, these two uh, people, let me get their names real here real quick. And they basically were just sharing what they had learned about the situation, because I'm assuming we're sort of assuming that they're pretty well tied into that German games industry. Um, so it is uh, Jochen Gebauer and... Andre Peschke. I apologize if I mispronounced your names. And basically what they heard was is that Embracer... Let me step back a bit. Embracer actually acquired this studio about four years ago um, as part of their like long-term like acquisition spree that they were on in the last couple of years. You're but, like one of the earliest developers acquired by Embracer before like the big call. Yes, they were uh, actually acquired by Embracer before they were known as Embracer. It was back when they were known as THQ Nordic. Hmm. Um, it was THQ Nordic AB, and in order to like not be confused with THQ Nordic, the publisher, which is GmbH, I don't remember what those acronyms stand for. They're Swedish terms, um, but they basically decided this is confusing. We can't have two different entities called THQ Nordic, so we're going to be called Embracer. That's the holdings company. Anyways, uh, they mandate Embracer mandated the closure of Piranha Bytes in November, so a couple months ago. Basically saying uh, you have to either get closed and we have to terminate all the employees or you have to find another a buyer, another publisher, someone to take you off our hands because we are no longer going to be dealing with you, basically. Um, I gather that in German law, it's harder to just terminate people. 
So there's actually a much longer drawn out process. So what that means is even if the staff of, of Piranha Bytes has basically been terminated, they still may, might like exist in formality or on paper for quite a while as things get like sorted through German courts. Um, there's kind of a, it's, it's not like the, it's not like the United States where you can just get terminated and you're done. Um, but anyways, uh, basically Embracer said you're either being sold or you're being closed. And that's, that's basically the crux of this is that there's no projects going on right now, apparently, and they're either being sold or they're being closed. I guess THU Nordic, the publisher is actually trying to communicate with like the higher ups at Embracer. Hey, let's try to like find a publisher. Let's give give us a little bit more time. Let's see what we can do here. And that's kind of the state they're in is they're not fully closed yet, but they've already received the termination notices. There's a legal proceedings that's taking place. They're trying to find a buyer. Um, I guess, regardless of all of this, a key creative lead at Piranha Bytes, um, whose name is Jorn Pankratz, again, apologize if I mispronounced your name, uh, already left. So people who are fond of these games and know the studio, it's like, well, they've already lost some key key people anyway. But that's basically where we're They've at. lost the creative behind it. Right. Um, it's worth noting that if Piranha Bytes is sold, somewhere else they apparently may keep the lx brand like if they're sold to a different publisher and they're able to make a new game for someone else apparently they could make an lx3 or elx3 that's that's not owned by embracer they could do it but they don't own the gothic ip anymore that's owned by thq nordic and that makes sense because the remake, those, those, re, those like developed. those switch remasters that came out a couple of months ago. I mean, there's two of them last year for the first and second game. Piranha Bytes didn't have anything to do with those. They were done by THQ Nordic and some publishing house or some uh, porting house. And then there's the Gothic remake that's in development at Alchemia Interactive, which is also under Q- THQ Nordic in Barcelona. That's unaffected no matter what happens to Piranha Bytes. So it's sort of unfortunate because that's kind of what Piranha Bytes is known for and has basically built themselves from is Gothic. And regardless of what happens here, they don't own that anymore. Um, so that's where we're at. So basically. I don't make sure I understand this. So basically this could be kind of be a microcosm of what Embracer's whole goal was. They purchased Piranha Bytes. They now own not all, but most of the IPs. They've kind of shuffled it around and they say, hey, you, you're working on a Gothic remake and now we no longer need Piranha Bytes. Well, also, I actually forgot to mention, I have this in the news post here. Um, Last summer, and this is not new news, so you probably have heard this before. Embracer was working on getting funding from various places. And uh, they last summer, I think it was June, they announced, or was it May? Anyways, last summer they announced that one of their funding deals that was going to be two billion United States dollars just fell through. It didn't happen, and we learned later, according to reporting by Axios, that that was from the Saudi-backed Savvy Gaming Group, which of course they have tons of money um, and a lot of other considerations in place there. But that didn't happen, and it seems like as a result of that, they they announced a restructuring, which basically they said outright in an open letter. This might this this has to do with reduction of staff and possibly studio closures. And since then, so this is since last June, they have fully closed Volition. That's the Saints Row people. Uh, Free Radical. That's the Time Splitters people. Campfire Cabal. Uh, they did some some narrative games. So those three studios are completely closed. 
And and in the case of Volition, they were pretty long standing, and they're just they don't exist anymore. Um, and then there have been layoffs at 3D Realms, Slipgate Ironworks, Fish Labs, Asmodee, Beamdog, Gearbox Publishing, Rainbow Studios, Cryptic Studios, and New World Interactive, and that's all that we know of. Um, so they're like basically, it seems like they kind of had like their eggs in a basket in terms of we need to get this funding deal from Savvy Gaming Group, and we'll all be good. But then that didn't happen, and they're like, well, shit. That's sort of the, that's one way to look at it anyway. So yeah, they're basically mm-hmm. resizing, restructuring, cutting a lot of people. And according to this podcast that I mentioned earlier, some people kind of came to the conclusion, oh, they are selling Piranha Bytes because Elex 2 was sort of disappointing. That's not necessarily the case. Apparently, it's more like an, imme- an immediacy thing. It's like, we need games to be released now. And uh, Piranha Bytes is not really in the... They just released this game like a year and a half ago, two years ago, and they're not ready to release another game for a while. And we can't afford that. We need games to release now. So that that seems to be more primary to why they're closing certain studios is studios that aren't releasing a game in the near future. So Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, th- that definitely lines up because like it's not like... Let's say, for example, they closed down Free Radical because, like, oh, time, the, the the recent time splitters did badly. It's like they just don't have a time splitters like ready to go like in the next year or so. Yep. It was still pretty much in early production. Um, and you know that the, the Free Radical and like a lot of these developers, like, it's really really sucks to see them go because they've had like very very storied histories. Whether you agree or not of like the quality of their output. You know, and, and recently, it's it's undeniable that like they they've existed in the industry for a very long time and have a proven record. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. So it sucks. It sucks. It. I don't know the best way of putting this, but it is genuinely depressing that the like people that were making all of those decisions at Embracer that have ultimately led to this that were literally gambling on money that they never had in the first place and is, uh, and have already upended thousands of people's lives are never going to get properly punished for the damage they've done to the industry as a whole. It is genuinely depressing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, succinct way to, uh, of putting it. It's, it's just like, a, it's just like a, a whole, almost like generation of developers God in the blink of an eye. Be completely real for like a second here, like seeing all of these layoffs in the industry over the last, like, like obviously last year and continuing into this year and then seeing companies dip their toes into AI. And then it's just jobs are being lost. And if AI keeps like ramping up, those jobs aren't going to be replaced and think of how many like tens of thousands of people might just be shut out of the industry that they love that they spent their lives getting into it's just so depressing doesn't even begin to like describe how i feel like watching this unfold i should probably also mention here uh (laughs) The tra- we I was provided translations of the podcast episode from a acquaintance of the site. I don't know if they want to be like named or not, so I'm not going to. But we basically had a German speaker who's you know I'm not sure if they're a Piranha Bytes fan, but being 
they're familiar with their output, like basically brief a couple of people like, Hey, here's what's going on. And here's what these guys from German, these German outlets have said. So thank yeah, you, that, friend. Massive. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, that was a really great reporting from you and said person there, on, uh, surfacing this and also really, a really good job, you know, like kind of giving a short summary of like the embracer group saga, obviously that's not, I felt like, you know, the, the entire state of the industry, but it's like, you know, a small insight of like, Hey, like, for people who haven't been following this, this is what's been going on, and all that. So it's, uh, it's tough to see it. It's it's uh, but it's also doubly tough to just keep up with it because mm-hmm. it's been happening so regularly that like at some point like you might just like you might kind of just like blanks out because it's like it's just so much and it's such a like a small time. Frame. Yeah, unfortunately, it's so common and regular that it, you almost start going blind to it. Yeah. It just becomes noise, but then you know, like like uh, like James said, it's we're less than a month into the year, and it's something like the total count is like three thousand industry jobs no longer exist. A good chunk of those are Unity, but still. <laughs> well, this is yeah, I, this I, is uh, not related to Embracer at all, but literally just last week, CI Games or City Interactive, as they were formerly known, shut off or laid off ten percent of their workforce. And CI Games is the studios behind the publisher and studios behind the Sniper Ghost series, as well as the recently released and apparently pretty successful uh, Lord of the Fallen. And now, ten percent of those people, including at the studios, they don't have jobs anymore. Yeah, you would think that you know from that success of that game, it's like you would think they would be hiring more people. Here we are. I I I, I believe Kotaku is going to try and keep track of all the industry layoffs of this year. Uh, so definitely if you're interested in learning more, uh, I believe Kotaku is going to do that this year. Yeah. Yeah. They, they have, they have a running, they have a running list, you know, like them, like them or not like them. They've got a list of anything that Mm -hmm. they can find a primary source for regarding layoffs. So, you know, it's, it's, it's it's hopefully more optimistic news. (laughs) I don't don't know if this next story is really optimistic (laughs) or not, but we'll we'll go on to this. So Adam, I hope you're in business mode because this kind of keeps going with that. So uh, every quarter, Square Enix has a financial results presentation, and usually it's a little bit of a delay in terms of when it gets formally translated into English. Like it'll come out in Japan, you know, hobbyists will sort of like report bits and pieces of it with or without context. And then usually after all of that, we get the actual um, official release on the uh, Western branch. And you did this just recently for Square Enix's most recent um, financial results posting for quarter two of la- quarter two of this fiscal year, which ended last November. Because I guess their fiscal year started in what mid summer. No, their fiscal year starts in April. But it, this is this. So okay. here's here's how the delay on these things work. So Square Enix's quarter two is going to be what July, August, September. Um. So that's quarter two. So. Everything about this financial results presentation is technically valid up through the end of September. Um, and then the actual like results come out in early November. That's pretty normal. About like a month after the quarter, they're basically, while they're in quarter three, which is October, November, December, they, they basically say, okay, here's how the last quarter went. But it's even more delayed because they give this presentation in November and this interview, or not this interview, this Q&A in November, but it takes them like six to eight weeks to get that translated. So we just got the translation. So in early January, we're technically talking about results that ended in last September. That's the delay on this. But anyways, um, uh, so president of Square Enix, Takashi Kiryu, 
presents the results. And I actually, we already saw the results. The results have already been given from in November. And the results themselves basically said, you know, Final Fantasy 16 did fine. You know, their MMO segment is down because they didn't have a big expansion and whatnot. It wasn't too surprising. But the Q&A is all brand new. So this is where the news comes from. It's basically we've translated the Q&A to President Takeshi Kiryu, and here's what he said. And he said a lot. Some Q&As are like two questions long, but this one had several questions. Um, so on our website, first of all, if you're like me and you just want to read the Q&A as is straight up, no chaser, I included it. It's it's just there. You can look at it. But if you wanted like a, a summary of it, here's basically what he said. One, their income targets for this full year more or less hinge on the performance of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which comes out in February. Uh, obviously, that's a huge game for them this year. It's that and Final Fantasy XVI were their big games this year. So that's what it hinges on. And, but they say that the initial response seems strong. Now, we don't know exactly like how many sales does that mean? We don't know. Um, you can maybe do some napkin math and maybe estimate. But anyways, um, they expect the MMO seg sub segment to improve as we, as we get closer and closer to Dawn Trail and get people get excited for it. Now, they said this is kind of the first key thing. Um... I saw some people saying that, oh, Square Enix says that Final Fantasy 16 met expectations. And that's halfway true. What they said, what they actually said was the income for the first half of the year met expectations, which included Final Fantasy 16. You know, nitpicking maybe, but they basically, it seems like Final Fantasy 16 more or less is roughly where they want it to be. But they did say, that over the next 18 months, they're going to be rolling out DLC and a PC port. So that maybe gives you some indication of a time scale of when is that second DLC going to come out? When is that PC port going to come out? Maybe by the end of this year? Who knows? Um, but they say within 18 months. Or they say within an 18-month period. Anyways, um, here's probably here's another key thing that Kiryu said. He said that Square Enix needs better diversity in our title portfolio. And... Um, there's a lot of different ways you can look at this. He says while Square Enix has big brands like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, uh, those are the brands he named up front, he says games like Power Wash Simulator also are doing really well and they, they're getting income from that. And he's basically, I'm not reading him verbatim here, but what he basically says is that like these games that are not JRPGs, you know, that are more, that are reaching like a different audience, that they need more of those, which... I think generally is a decent idea. If you look at other publishers, they might have different games in different genres that people different. They're basically reaching a broader audience of uh, people who like RPGs or people who like action games or or whatever. Um, Square Enix has a lot, a lot, a lot of RPGs, and he, I think he's basically saying, "What if we tried other things in addition to that?" Now, I know a lot of people like Square Enix for their RPGs, so might be not too pleased at. The fact that they might not they might try other things but i think that's where games like power wash simulator or maybe foam stars or these games sort of come into the picture does just a uh, cost count or that's not a square enix title Idos. just cause I think, I think i think i think i think they still own just cause i think they still own that oh okay. I might be, oh yeah i might oh, be yeah. wrong yeah because they 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 they, they, right. they divested a lot of their friends they, oh and life is strange you know that was a game that came out from square enix last yeah. year um I, I or will say that, like in these yep. Yeah, 
yeah, I'm sure like uh, Square Enix would love if they could make uh, if they could publish more titles like uh, Power Wash Simulator because that game, I think silently, it's been one of Square's most successful games of the last like couple years. <laughs> right, and he actually even says like it meets a more casual audience, and not in any sort of derogatory term. It's just you know players. There are not every every gamer or every possible customer plays RPGs. You know, there's a lot of people. I know someone who's really big into Power Wash. Uh, and he just loves that game. It just sort of has a get home from work and wind down and clean things off with a power hose. Anyway, you're just like, I tried to clean Midgar. Yeah. <laughs> or Laura Cross Mansion, or Lara Cross mm-hmm. Mansion. Um, anyways, um, but kind of in addition to that, he also says um, that, uh, I'll read this verbatim. I want to structure our development function so that we are able to ensure higher quality from each title by slimming down our lineup. So, this, so that caused some red flags, enough that even our boss, uh, Alex Donaldson, wrote basically his opinion on this. And what he basically pointed to was the 2022 second half of the year. If you don't remember, in that half of the year, Square Enix released like a Voice of Cards game, Dio Field Chronicle, Star Ocean 6, uh, Tactics Ogre Reborn, uh, Dragon Quest Treasures, uh, Minstrel Song, uh, Valkyrie Elysium, and the Valkyrie Lenneth uh, uh, port. There's Harvestella too. Uh, Harvestella. There was also the ports for Triangle Strategy and something else maybe in that time frame. Like all of these games released within like a four month period, and then Forspoken wasn't that longer that long after that. And basically, Alex's argument was: this is a lot of games. And this is maybe a problem for two reasons. One, it's practically impossible to just market that many games well. You you have to, like, you can only market it so much with so many resources that some of the games might have just slipped under the radar in terms of, you know, trying to get the word out there, like, hey, here's this game that we're promoting. And two... Before that, to sure. give an example of this, like, remember, like... Especially Harvest and Tactics Ogre Reborn, like the most marketing they ever did for that was like blog updates. Yes, that's the, primarily how they did did it. Did it, and it's like okay. Well. I feel like the only marketing I ever seen for Tactics Ogre was, oh, we found this in a leak. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest. Yeah, the, honestly, that might have been like the biggest word of mouth. Of yeah, it. and it's funny because it's like obviously there was a bunch of those Square Next games like in late 2022 that released at the same time. Even like using using Harvestella as like an example, I feel like that was one of the few that maybe got back their investment. <laughs> hey, so, really sorry, uh, yeah. The, the second thing I was gonna say was just like audience overlap. Yeah. A lot of these games appeal to like the same sorts of people, like us. And Alex even said basically our reader base, and just you know, how many of you have played all of those games that released? I am still. I haven't gotten around Harvestella yet because I was busy with Dr. Elysium like, and other things. Out. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of the other point that Alex made and others is just that like these games just there's a little bit too much overlap between all of these, all releasing so close, and so from that standpoint, like maybe slimming down the lineup isn't necessarily a bad idea. But Alex basically in his editorial, and I agree with him, basically he's like, be careful. Because some of these games are where, like, the more interesting kind of creativity and thoughts and structures and ideas might come from. Um, he pointed to, like, the obvious example of Nier Automata. Like, what are the chances that 
you know, a six out of, he said like a game that was basically a six out of 10 near, you know, gets a sequel, you know, that in like this sort of mindset, if they're trying to slim down, slim down a, a lineup, like chances like that are maybe less likely to get made. Um, and then he basically he basically said some of those games that released last year, people liked you know parts of Star Ocean or Harvestella or the Tactics Ogre Reborn. I liked components of Diofield despite being a bit uneven. Like there are things about these games that people like, and they're not bad games. Um, or at least there's going to be some of those that you might be fond of. So he's basically cautioning Square Enix, like okay, slimming on a lineup. Maybe don't release sixteen games in sixteen weeks or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I I, I feel like there's <laughs> but, like more of like uh, like a scheduling problem right. more so than like a, a quality problem, right? Because it's just like on paper, just like why don't we just like you know have these released throughout the year, spread it instead of like this is our fucking fiscal year target window yeah. to like both our numbers. It's like. It's a terrible idea. It's like always a buffet, you know? There's like a ton of food. It's like, but your stomach can only feel so much, you know? Like, like I really like this, like, weird experimental where like phase that Square Enix was in, you know, in that time period. Because, like, a lot of the, like like you said, Adam, like, a lot of those guys are interesting. It's not like, it's not like that, like, oh, you know, they should, like, cut this, this. I can't, I, I, I would even champion, like, you know, even though, like, I wasn't the biggest fan of Forspoken, I wouldn't be opposed to, like, you know, like snipping that from existence, you know. Right. Um it's just it's just one of those things where it's like it, I think they just need to really think about like their scheduling of things. So I'm just thinking ahead. Oh, first of all, let me just take a small aside because one of the later questions on this uh, <laughs> uh game, on this uh Q&A was sort of amusing. Uh, uh he was asked about Infinity Strash Dragon Quest. Uh, and basically, like, what happened here? Things. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he, well, he like, why was it garbage? <laughs> he basically um, asked, or he basically answered one, and we we had actually said this. There was he basically said there was too much time that elapsed between the anime ending and the game, so it just like it kind of lost that current like that relevancy, I guess. So that was one thing, and we had said that, and two. He said there was like too much of a disconnect between what the game actually was and what people wanted the game to be. I like we we had said we had talked about how like the games for weird reasons is like mostly this like roguelike mode with like this tacked on like cuts the cutscene stuff that we talked about or like retelling of the story. Yeah. It wasn't really like it was, anyways, we've talked about that. Then he basically said that was probably an issue. Uh, anyways, enough of that att- enough of that tangent. Um, I was trying to think ahead to like Square Enix this year. Let's just talk. I know it's always fun to look ahead. Um, this, this calendar year, yes. even though that's not how. Uh, yeah, so year. fiscal year ends in March. So we know obviously Final Fantasy VII remake is or rebirth, rebirth. is the uh, big kind of closer to this fiscal year and hinges. That's basically going to make or break your fiscal year. Um, next year, when does their fiscal year end? Is it end of March thirty first? Okay. So I don't think they have anything after that. Um, no. Right. Okay, so, like, the next fiscal year, so this is fiscal year twenty that ends in 2025, they have what? There's Saga, I think, is the first game. Uh, Saga uh, Emerald Beyond. And then we know there's uh, a Visions of Mana title um, in summer. Um, this is technically a different sub-segment, sub uh, because they have their HD games and their MMO sub-segment. There's Dawn Trail, 
coming out. Um, is there anything else that we know of? I know there's stuff that is rumored. Mm. Uh, I'm blanking. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, there must be like a Dragon Quest X expansion. Oh yeah, there's Dragon Quest Three HD 2D. Will that show up? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I mean, uh, Foam Stars is that? Oh yeah, there's Foam Stars. I forgot about yeah. Foam Stars is this fiscal year actually. So it's February. It's yeah, Foam, Star Foam Stars is really weird because um, even separated from all the like controversy stuff that's been happening this week because of uh, the AI thing. Technically, that game is releasing a month early for PlayStation Plus subscribers, and then the full game, if yes. you don't want to... Yeah, it's... Why? Why? I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I, I think that's pretty much it. So it's like, it's Foam Stars, then FF7 Rebirth, then after, and then, the, then moving on to the next fiscal year, you have Saga uh, in April, Visions of Mana sometime in summer, and then uh, Dawn Trail. Well, and that just means that just means in, in the second half of 2024, we're getting Kingdom Hearts 4 and Dragon Quest 12. I mean, it's it's also it's also very very. Um, we're also expecting a, probably a PC port of uh, Dragon Quest Monsters. Dark probably. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and probably a PC port of Rebirth. I don't know if it's this year or next year, but they but it, like the exclusivity window on Rebirth. Is like up until May, I believe, according to the latest video. Yeah, it's like three like, months technically. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Square Enix sometimes yeah. will announce and release games relatively uh, quickly. Like last year, I believe, like Star Ocean re remake was announced in like May or something, and released six months later. So that that can happen. So. Right. And then there's or they do the thing with the Dragon Quest Treasures is like Shadow Drop. Oh, the PC <laughs> port. That, they'll do that with Dragon Quest Monsters at some point. Like, yeah, oh, it's on Steam now. I was looking at the games that Square Enix released last year, too. It was a much thinner year in 2023, just with like bigger titles. So last year, last year they had Final Fantasy 16. That was their first major release mm -hmm. of the fiscal year. Um, so obviously, that's a huge game. Um, and then they had <laughs> Infinity Strash. They had uh, Little Goody Two Shoes. They had Star Ocean, and then Dragon Quest, and now Final Fantasy Seven. Uh, Did they put Ever Crisis in the in the? Oh, well I didn't. I didn't have Ever Crisis yeah. on my list. Um, yeah. But that also released. So basically, even if I'm missing a game, there wasn't as jam packed as 2022. Um, there was still a handful of those smaller titles like Star Ocean and Dragon Quest Monsters, but uh, we'll see what happens. Anyways, the, this current fiscal year that we're in, we're, that we're in, it's basically the big hitters are Final Fantasy 16 and Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth. So next year, sort of, we have we have the ones that we mentioned. It's kind of curious what what we'll see. So, I got Mata have to carry. That's what I'm hearing. I do think it is just kind of nuts to think about it for long term fans like us, like a soccer game and a Mana game in 2024. Today's climate, wow, what? We've never been so back. Well, thank you, Adam, for driving us through a kind of a business-related segment of the news part of the podcast. We'll wrap up the podcast. We got a number of headlines here, but a lot of these are just kind of release dates or new updates uh, we'll to go through the end of the year or the end of the cast. I mean, uh, we got two trailers for some upcoming RPGs uh, out of the Xbox Developer Direct 2024. 
Uh, I think one of these we expected, and one of these, at least when I saw the headline and I watched it, was a surprise. I'll start with that one because we're talking about Square Enix. Uh, they showcased a, a lot of footage about the upcoming Visions of Mana at the Xbox Developer Direct because this is one of the Square Enix games. You know, they're uh, splatter on a wall of where they're releasing games and their exclusivity contracts. Visions of Mana is coming out on PC, Xbox, and PlayStation, not on Switch. Uh, so when I watched this trailer... To me, I kind of felt like I really wish I had played um, Trials of Mana because I feel like that's where I would draw a lot of analogs to. Uh, those that have played Trials of Mana, when you saw this, are you like more excited, less excited, or is this kind of what you expected to see? We said this last week or the week before. It looks like Trials of Mana, but with more budget. <laughs> it's very yeah, it seems it, similar. It, <laughs> so. It's uh, but it's definitely like there's definitely more. Uh movement options like you see like a dash and an air dash and like combat just seems more fluid in general uh with this early footage of uh visions of mana um so i mean that to, to me i'm excited this like the, this looks really great because it used to be like a combo oriented uh game but has like you can uh, mix in like uh, elemental magical uh, magic spells and like your attack pattern and like that's a really interesting like direction for them to take it in they also shut off like a briefly like another playable character there, there's actually two I show I saw, one of them very. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, one of them you see like just a hair of in my hair. I mean like literally hair, uh, in like <laughs> one of the boss battle scenes. It's like someone with like a really big like red poofy mane. But the character that they showed a little bit, not really. They didn't really highlight this. There's like they, I can't even tell if it's like a man or a woman, but it's a yellow haired like fencer with like cat ears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the the highlight of this video though was Koichi Ishii and his fit. Yep. Like, yeah, like Ishii yeah. looked really good. He has like this leather jacket. It's all strapped up, and he's talking about like, yeah, man, I made these like the cutest, lovable creatures. Yeah, uh, he's got his hair like good. slicked back, high and tight. Yeah, it looks like he belongs in like a like a dragon game. <laughs> so if you're not familiar, he's the creator of the Mana series, but he mm. doesn't work at Square Enix anymore. He's actually is he the founder of Grezzo, or did he just join Grezzo? Oh, that's a good question. Hey. I don't know. That's a good question. I didn't think about that. Oh, he he was hired as the CEO of Grezzo. I don't oh, know if he okay. found it, but he's basically the boss of it. Um, uh, and Grezzo, if you're not familiar, they do a bunch of uh, stuff for, or they had for for Nintendo. Like they did some of those like Zelda, um, 3DS ports. Uh, they worked on like the Luigi's Mansion, Link Awakening, uh, re- uh, like remake. They did the Metopia remake a few years ago. Uh, they're currently working on something called Jet Dragon, which is an iOS game. But anyways, he returned basically to uh, show off a new creature companion known as a pickle. Not pickle, a pickle. Um, which is what he said is like the mix between a Yorkshire Terrier and a Pangolin, which is sort of like an armadillo type of thing. So it's like an armored, or a giant armored doggo is what it is. It's very you can write it, and it's very. It looks very fluffy, and I'm really jealous. <laughs> I want one. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's looking great. They announced a summer uh, time frame for the release of this game, not necessarily a release date yet. They they said that the soundtrack will have uh, a list of over a hundred songs. Yep, and you know it'll have Kikuda, Sakito, Yamazaki, um, and I think that's also one of the standout things about like this uh, Xbox Direct. Uh, developer direct segment it did is like the music is already shaping up to be really really good. 
I I really just like this style where they they showed a bunch of like the the first of all I'm not entirely sure who is developing this with Square Enix it's almost a safe bet to say like if it's not like Final Fantasy Mainline or Kingdom Hearts or or whatever that it's that they're contracting someone else to do it like for example the last trials game was made by Zine but uh they showed the studio which maybe it's internal maybe it's not I don't know that's like making this game and they're showing like some of like the artists creating some of the creatures and some of the the uh the the elementals that are very familiar to the series um there was just kind of a nice behind the scenes look of everything um and i just thought that was kind of a neat segment they were kind of showing like koichi ichi and kind of like some of the monster animations uh which are really adorable if you're if you're reading between the lines of like oh why does microsoft have like a, a third-party japanese developer in their developer direct for this it's like it's definitely one of those like hey we're partnered with square Enix too like before the launch of the playstation 5 exclusive ff7 rebirth it's kind of like getting their foot in the door and saying hey we're partnering with square Enix too for uh for a game not necessarily that this game's gonna be exclusive to xbox systems but they like, you know, just want to give a nod to the audience. Like, we have a, a relationship with Square Enix as well. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been their posture for the last couple of years. Yeah. The, 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 there's like, like a full force right now with Sega. About, like, with Sega. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should know this, but I don't remember. Was Final Fantasy XIV finally confirmed for Xbox? They did. They, I mean, FF14 is uh, they announced it's coming to Xbox. Uh, okay, there's yeah. there, there, there a mistweet uh, earlier this week saying that open beta went live for Xbox, and then they uh, they rectified it. Xbox saying, "Oh, that was like you know uh, misfire on our end. Uh, we'll let you know um, when it's actually going to be up." So apparently, there was a it was there was some misinformation uh, going around because they initially said that they were in open beta right now. Hmm. The other game that we got a kind of a similar kind of developer look in uh, at the Xbox Developer Direct is one of their first party games. This is for Avowed. This is the first person fantasy RPG being developed by Obsidian. Uh, so this one was basically instead of Koichi Ishii, it was Kerry Patel over at Obsidian. And this is a game that, uh, oh, one thing I didn't say is Visions of Mana is coming out this summer. Yeah. Avowed is coming out uh, before the this end of the fall. year. Yeah, the fall. Uh, so the, the the Avowed Showcase was a little bit shorter, and it showed a little bit of combat gameplay. A good section of it was just a dialogue, which is not, you know, which is fine. That's, that's what you expect to be doing a lot of in an RPG, but I thought it was maybe not the best showcase for the game. Hard to vertical slice that sort of thing. Yeah, I was just like, about to say, these sorts of games, games are very hard to, like, get a yeah. read on in a quick couple-minute, uh, you know, video. Uh, I, I don't necessarily blame Obsidian for that. It's just it's just very hard to like kind of sell your characters and go morally gray decisions like in a very very quick segment. I think the highlight of Avowed is like kind of their, how they're doing their dual wield weapon system, where you can kind of mix and match anything like dual wands, a wand and a gun, a wand and a sword, a gun and a sword, dual swords, dual guns. So you can kind of mix and match however you want to in in combat. And I hope that has a pretty meaningful gameplay um implication instead of like just being like being swappable at a whim and like being effectively a weapon like a skin um mm-hmm. so i i have high hopes that like this will be a robust dual wield combat system like ideally what i want is a wand that can like do elemental damage like say freeze and then get like a blunderbuss and like fucking explode that enemy frozen enemy to pieces 
the dual so something like that the i remember when about first not when it was first shown but when, when it was shown last year when it was re-revealed re over the summer there was a little bit of like middling or even negative response to the art style being a little bit more cartoony and this does show that it does kind of have a little bit of that cartoony-ish art style I, I i can't think of a better word there's a there's a better word than cartoony but it's a little bit more not stylized comic bookish in a way um it's not trying to be obsidian or microsoft skyrim i guess i'll put it that way in terms of how it looks Though they do have a section at the end of this little showcase where they primarily focus on the environments, and I think the environments actually look really nice. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, like, one, really one small thing I actually appreciated. They, so they had they also had the combat director and like art director talking a bit about this game. And one thing I actually mm -hmm. really really appreciated was the art director made like a quick comment on like some of the locations are really colorful and verdant, and some of the places and some of the locations are more dull. And they showed like a desert, and I actually like appreciate that like. There is a desert in the game, and it's going to be more dull than like the forest or whatever. And like, I think that variety is intense. good. <laughs> like, I don't think every location in the game has to be like you know neon lights like flashing at you. Look at me, you know. I think the variety is good. Mm -hmm. Having like a duller desert contrasting to the more colorful forest. So. You want a neon desert? Got it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited for this. The showcase probably wasn't as interesting as the uh, Trials of Mono, or sorry, Visions of Mono one, but it's something I'm still excited for. And I remember uh, one thing I actually called out as soon as I watched this is that I'm pretty sure their dialogue font is this. It's like the same like serif font that they used for the Pillars games. I and I know this Pillars. game is like it's not really a Pillars game. It, they're using like the same mythos because they kind of already established that. Uh, but I do kind of want to like. If I had infinite time, I definitely would replay them. I probably will not because I don't have hey, that time. I'll, I'll, I'll replay. But I'll, I need to play them for the first time, and you can like watch. To okay, so that's that's just going to be your role this year: is that you play these games, and then I'll <laughs> yes. watch you play them to re to re remember mm -hmm. what happens in them. But they did uh, say in yeah. a previous thing, like at Summer Games Fest, that there will be some characters from. They specifically mm -hmm. said two that show up. So it's almost it's almost certainly going to be a uh, Adair or a Loth. Are they like um, immortal or something? They're 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 just uh, well actually I don't know when this takes place in terms of like time like before or after I'm sure they've said it but I've just completely flushed it out of my brain whether this is like concurrent with the other games or yeah. shortly before or shortly after but those two are probably those are gate characters that were in both one and two party members in both one and two kind of uh, more of the popular characters etc. Ryan, I have a question for you as as you know as someone who who has played well not me but you who has played Pillars. Mm -hmm. uh, is there like any like environment in either pillars one or two that like you would like to see in first person instead of isometric? I forget the name of the city, but the capital city in pillars two because it's like a it's like a Hawaiian Polynesian imperial island. Okay, that sounds cool. Uh, what's the name of the pillars of eternity two capital? Let's see, Nekataka. Mm. So. That would be cool to see in first person. Okay. But I, I don't know if this takes place because Pillars of Eternity 2 takes place like on like Pillars of Eternity 1 set up like a lot of the continent and the regions. And then Pillars of Eternity 2 is like, okay, now we're going to this this game takes place on the Deadfire Archipelago, Archipelago, whatever. And so it's a little bit more like focused in that way. So it's not it's not like a world spanning thing. It's a very local conflict. It's actually really uh, interesting. It gets a little bit yeah, but uh, so I, I don't know if the Deadfire Isles will make an appearance in this game, but that would be cool. 
it'd be it'd be a, a, it'd be a nod for the hundred thousand of us that played Pillars of Eternity too. <laughs> Apparently, Pillars of Eternity too it has over time become pretty successful. I know at the yeah. When, Oh, I know at like launch they're talking about like this game was disappointing in terms of like its sales potential, but I guess it's over time done decently well. I, I, yeah, Josh Sawyer is pretty uh, open about it. Where they're, they, they, it is a little bit where they don't really know what went wrong. They're like, yeah, we released a game; it was critically successful and financially not really successful. Like when you have something like that, you're like, well, what did we do wrong? <laughs> we it's also, that- yeah, it's also one of those things too because like you like you know. <laughs> Because it's it's now it's proven that like a CRPG can be mega successful too. <laughs> yeah, like, this year especially. Yeah, so I'm just like fuck. The rest of the news posts that we have on this podcast, I think I have them largely um, kind of chronological, so I kind of go through them. Uh, first off, we kind of talked about this game in passing in the last one of the last topics, but Dragon Quest Monsters: The Dark Prince released in December. As a Switch exclusive, it did reach the 1 million sales mark. And that sales includes like ship to stores and digital downloads. So 1 million total sales uh, within a month of release for a Dragon Quest Monsters spinoff. So I think that seems pretty successful. And I remember when uh, I was writing this news post uh, very quickly to help Adam. Uh, Dragon Quest Treasures, which is like the contemporary from the year prior, never got an update saying that it ever hit the million mark even with its PC release. So this is highly better... impressive. Like, uh, I'm interested. Did they ever give like a regional breakdown or maybe the yeah, I was oh, curious. It's, like... it's gotta be, it's gotta be like at least like 90% in Japan or something like that. <laughs> I can't find a copy of this game to be honest with you. So you tell me where the hell these sales come from. In the I, know I know from just the physical copies sold in Japan alone, it was like, I want, I want to say it was like the last I saw was like around 550,000. Oh, really? uh, interesting. So, yeah, let me let me let me check install base really quick because there's because, because, yeah, because I know Dragon Quest Monsters is very, very popular in Japan and like doubly so because it's like linked to Dragon Quest 4. They're like, yeah, fuck yeah, <laughs> I think there's gonna be I, like fuck clearly yeah. it seems more successful than Treasures and probably a better game than Treasures. And we talked about it. I think Treasures has got some interesting ideas, but um, I think the fact that I'll... it is tied to Final Fantasy 4, there might be a lot you know, of Dragon Quest 4. Sorry, Dragon Quest 4. Um, a lot of fans, you know, of that game, older, even younger, whatever, just pick it up because of that. Yeah. So as of last week, it seems like the game has sold like 529,000 copies physically in Japan as of last week, not counting digital, not counting this week. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting the vast majority of sales to have been in Japan, which isn't surprising. Which Look, isn't man, surprising. Uh, our, our fellow Japanese gamers, do you see uh, Sar on the cover? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> Instant buy. Uh, water is wet, the sky is blue, a Dragon Quest game sold well in Japan. Yes. I would have guessed. You think Dragon Quest Treasures would have done better if it was just still a Monsters game? Because it was announced as a Monsters game. Was it? They should have had, some, they should have had like, a Dragon Quest 3 person on the cover even though they never oh, showed up in the game <laughs> they would have, you know how many more copies that game would have sold they had a dragon quest 3 character on the cover holy shit here are a couple uh games that are now available uh, one game and one demo so it came out this week we haven't had anyone on the site uh play this yet but uh sovereign syndicate 
is an indie CRPG that released uh, just in the last week. Uh, you might have heard this game before. This is an indie take on basically what has been described as a steampunk disco Elysium. And I read a few Steam reviews in preparation for this podcast, and it seems like a lot of people are um, pretty high on it. I've heard some people say that the Disco Elysium comparison isn't quite valid, but I've seen a lot of a lot more reviews invoke the comparison. So it seems like it has some merit. Otherwise, the at a glance, it, go to at that. a glance, like the dialogue tree system and having like your internal, you know, thoughts and talk to you. It looks yeah. on, on the surface like, oh, that's just Disco Elysium. And even even the demo that I played of it, I was like, this is very Disco Elysium. So, I mean, maybe it changes up like in the full game, but just first impressions. Yeah, but I, I read the cool. RPG fan review of this game because uh, mm -hmm. we didn't have anyone check it out. And he said that actually like the writing is pretty strong. Um, mm -hmm. I, I would be shocked if it was as strong as Disco Elysium because that game has like absolutely stellar writing. But apparently it's not bad. Some more issues maybe with actual like gameplay me mechanics, but that wasn't really Disco yeah. Elysium's strength either. Yeah, I mean, like you're you're here for like a lot of love of reading mm -hmm. and text. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's this one Steam review that says they are all comparing it to Disco Elysium when really it really it isn't very much like that. It's more appropriately compared to a series called Angela Swing, Never which I don't know it. what that is, but it's another it's another series of games on on uh, on Steam. Well, it's basically oh. like, you know, when you're comparing Unicorn Overlord to Fire Emblem, it's really Ogre Battle, but since only three people have played Ogre Battle, yeah. One thing is Fire Emblem. There you go. Got it. Okay. Uh, I, I saw someone compare also Unicorn to Suikoden, and I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I, I don't know how you get that. <laughs> that uh, one's crazy. <laughs> that one's... For them. That, oh, that's sorry. crazy, because we, we literally have, like... We have the, the Suikoden comparison. Hey, we have Hayden coming out in April. <laughs> Like, they're yeah, gonna compare that game yeah. to something else, dude. They're gonna compare it to Blade, Beyblade because they only saw saw that one just screenshot of the Beyblade mini game. It's like it's just like Beyblade. Sorry. Also available now, uh, a demo is now on PC, PlayStation, and Switch for Fate Samurai Remnant, a game that did pretty damn well in our Game of the Year awards. Yeah, yeah. yeah the DLC coming out next month, although we don't really know mm -hmm. a whole lot about it. They've, yeah. they've like announced it and showed it, but it's still like, what is it? <laughs> it has I mean, something to do with the release. I mean, usually don't they release a demo before the game comes out to get people hyped for the uh, game? Sometimes you see this sometimes where they release a demo after the fact. Yeah, uh, it's it, it happens not that often, but it happens. Speaking of DLCs, Sword Art Online Last Recollection is getting its first DLC. I, at least I assume it's its first DLC. Ritual Bond Volume 1 is releasing uh, on January 25th, so just oh. recording. Uh, I, I, my, my takeaway from from this game, from people I know who have played it and liked Alice, Licorice Alicization, or was it the other way around, uh, was this game is way worse than the previous one. Oh, wow. And they, they, they all pretty much bounced <laughs> off of it. They're like, well, we were excited to get into this game, and it's like pretty significantly worse so but never mind this game seems to be the sort of thing that sort of online fans actually care about where it's like you get to choose your wife so, so. so even then like even for that crowd apparently even that crowd is like the game is so uninteresting to play compared to the last one that's like that's not even enough for them to really latch on to it so I, I like how a kite put in there you can also choose uh Yu-Gi-Oh to be your wife the thing <laughs> oh, is, yeah. is Yu-Gi-Oh is like the one male character <laughs> 
the blonde dude. I was trying to trace of him. Is the childhood friend inside the 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 new VR MMO? Yes. People have made that joke, I think, enough where like he's like the one male character, but he can also be the wife. Like ever since that story came out. So yeah. Okay. All right, Chow. It's that time of the month again. It's the Genshin well, Impact update. Okay, so I heard that Genshin Impact finally added gaming. It's, it's jamming. It's jamming, okay? Oh. That's how you pronounce what? it as a real Chinese person. It's jamming. Oh, yeah. I was gonna okay, guess, wait, like, wait. How, 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 do you, how do you spell this? Hold on. It's I'm spelled, lost. It's spelled like exactly the word as gaming, gaming. in English. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like when you try to search up an article, it's like Genshin has added gaming <laughs> oh i always see it's like they have a character four star pyro claymore user it's and it's spelled gaming but child here says jamming i was gonna guess like jamming, name. But i guess it's jaw okay okay all right tell, tell us about gaming i know nothing about this guy i'm just coming back here to buy ganyu and shanhei costumes and then you're gonna dip out. Like I'm gonna buy the costumes and then i'm and then i'm going back to hong kai <laughs> it's like all right the highlights of- Based based on the news post on our site at rpgsite.net, which you should bookmark and visit regularly, the update includes a Liyu expansion to the northwest to Shenyu Vale. The Lantern Rite Festival uh, will return with a free outfit for Xingwu. Xingqiu. There's two new playable. There's two new playable characters, uh, Zhang Yun and Game Gaming. Gaming. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I'll. I'll I, I might and a new Ganyu outfit. I might come back to roll for Xingyan. Uh, I think she's supposed to be the cloud retainer. Are you going to play the game or just roll? Just roll. That's what you play gotcha <laughs> games for. The, no hesitation. The high. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, have, they have new technology, apparently. The, the, this new supposed, I saw it. Oh, you added gifts. Holy shit, Adam. Yes. How did you do it? That's crazy. Magic. Oh, my God. So yeah, uh, they have new technology, I guess. Bog. Powered by AI. All right. Yeah, that'll come out on uh, January 31st. 4.4 called Vibrant Harriers Aloft in Spring Breeze. And there's a trailer showing all this stuff too. And then I close my podcast doc to, to... Mm-hmm. <laughs> to go to the to go to the news post and then I pull it back up and scroll back down. All right, here we go. Uh, during the upcoming Steam Next Fest next month, I guess that is coming in February, uh, there will be a playable demo of an indie RPG called Sword of Convalaria. And I saw that you were kind of posting some updates to this game in the staff Discord last night, Josh. Uh, the developer kind of announced some interesting new tidbits for this upcoming game. That we weren't yeah. expecting. Yeah, so this is a game that was first. Like, it's glo- I believe it's out in Taiwan, but like it's out. Its global version was announced last year. It was supposed to come out later last year, but then they delayed it back to 2024. Uh, there's a, a free to play, free to play pixel art strategy RPG. So this would be the comparisons of like, oh, there's like Fire Emblem. It's like, yeah, it's kind of like Fire Emblem. Um, and, Why do I feel uh, like the rest of the thing is a, whenever there's a game that is remotely like strategic, you're like, Brian, this is like Fire Emblem. <laughs> um, and uh, so the, I guess the, the real the headliner here is there's a Steam Fest Next Fest demo that'll contain they say it'll contain up to ten hours of single player content for people. So that's already a meaty demo. 
the the interesting thing about like uh, about this game is like there's two modes to it: Elysium and Spiral of Destinies. Elysium is like your typical free to play gotcha game structure of like you have stamina, you roll for characters, stages consume stamina, so forth, and they describe this as this as a dynamic online mode. They're planning for guilds and like pack and like friendly PvP and so forth. And the the other mode uh, that this game will have in its full release is called Spiral of Destinies, and they describe this as a single standalone single player RPG, and they say it'll have multiple endings, roguelike elements, and then verbatim from the video, they said it'll be completely separate from any monetization in the game. So this will just be a standard RPG that's free to play that has like no monetization attached. But didn't to they it. also say that like? They're gonna be expanding the single player mode. So yeah, so that's the thing. Like, the, yeah, so they're gonna use revenue that uh, gained from the monetization of that Elysium mode, that other mode, the actual live service, live game service mode, to feed into the content development of this single player mode. So I guess they're gonna there's gonna be like new stories of like new of like continuing characters or whatever. I don't know exactly how they're gonna expand. The story, but apparently they're going to continually like build out this single player mode from the revenue gain from that other mode that they monetize. It's it sounds okay on paper. I don't know exactly how it's going to pan out. I guess it really depends on like how how to incentivize people to like spend money on the on the live service mode. I guess. Um. So that was an interesting tidbit that they shared in like this developer update of the video. I don't know. T- I don't know too many people who obviously played like the 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 full game that's already out in Taiwan. Um, so I don't know exactly how that's sh- you know a- how that's actually shaking out over there. Um, they announced that like this will initially be launching for Steam, iOS, and Android, um, and that they have a Nintendo Switch version as development. So th- there's a, a weird thing because. When this game was initially announced last year, they already they already said that a PlayStation and Switch version was like coming, but now they're just like focusing on the Nintendo Switch version, and then eventually they want to release it to other platforms in the future. Um, so you know they they, they I, I kind of been keeping an eye on this game. They kind of shared some feedback on like some of the features that they're going to be improving from like the closed beta test that they did. They got a lot of feedback. They're like, okay. A lot of people don't like the way that the, this game like handles on a UI front, like uh, because I guess moving around people was like s- sort of a chore, so they have like a specialized UI now to make that easier. Um, and they also, you know, I, I guess they got a lot of feedback of like, hey, like it's this game seems cool, but I don't really like free to play gotcha game models. So, you know, I'm I'm way more interested in it now because it'll have a mode that's like separate from the monetization. I'm hoping it doesn't feel like it's GIMP because of that. Um, we'll see. But I'm, I'm more interested in this game now because it'll have that other mode that's just a single-player RPG normal, apparently. So I, I, I'll definitely check out the the demo, um, that Steam Next to Us demo. Apparently it's a meaty one. Hopefully it's good. Yeah, you always do a really good job at touching on a bunch of games at those uh, Steam festivals. I do appreciate it. The next news post is a game that is coming out in February out of early access that is uh, 
action RPG. It's a Diablo-like, as far as I can see, uh, Last Epoch. This is a game that's been on Steam and Early Access since 2019 and has already like sold over a million copies to what seems to be really favorable reviews. And it's having its uh, 1.0 official launch on February 21st. Alongside this, they got a new trailer and some details, as well as like some kind of line-by-line details of like the different editions of the game and what players who already own it can can do to like get freebies or update upgrade their uh, purchase things like that so the 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 trailer and the gameplay of this game looks really fluid and fun like a really like a dark fantasy rpg i hear a lot of good things from people like for for my friends who like who are really really big into path of exile like yeah there's a pretty solid action rpg so I, yeah, I if, I if it wasn't releasing it in like in February, <laughs> exactly, I will eventually get around to it. But there's like a time to play it. <laughs> I definitely want to give it a shot. It looks like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, another CRPG is uh, coming out on March seventh. This is Zoria: Age of Shattering. Let's see. This one is not early access. It's just fully releasing on March 7th. We got a new kind gameplay of an interesting trailer about for this that. one is that uh, they were planning on doing early access and then they were like, no, we don't need to do early access. That's interesting. How often do you hear that? Normally it's the other direction. Like we should do early access. But yeah, this is more like an indie scale tactical computer RPG. So I do is- like how in their uh, in their press release. They're like, it's still set to launch on March 7th, 2024, henceforth known as International Stop Playing Baldur's Gate 3 Day. Yeah, they, 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 they kind of poked look- fun at that. We're like, mm-hmm. uh, please try us out. So instead of Baldur's Gate. So that one's coming out on March 7th, being I published probably, by Anchar Publishing. I probably will only try this one if I hear good word of mouth. I don't... After like games like Dark Envoy last year, which I didn't really care for, like I'm gonna wait and see what the people say. Yeah, not gonna go in sight unseen. Gonna see what the word of mouth is. So Last mm-hmm. Epoch, because it's in Relaxes, kind of already has a lot of that kind of baked oh, yeah. in, where this one of course doesn't. Mm-hmm. So interesting. And not not quite they're both isometric, but Last Epoch again is like the Diablo like, and then Zoria is more of the classic CRPG like. The Baldur's Gate 3 like. Hmm. Uh, in April, we get the uh, Xbox release for Neptunia Sisters versus Sisters. The Switch version of that and... comes out next week. And I guess, you know, obviously the interesting thing here is, uh, did we ever expect Neptunia to be on Xbox? Well, no, yes. but here it is. I expect Neptunia to be on, on all platforms after a certain point, so, yeah. I mean, there is an Xbox character. Yeah, obviously so. you gotta have eventually kind of interesting is, the thing is is the xbox character is the one that doesn't have a sister so how can that be the sisters versus sisters game why do i know this damn maybe you are the <laughs> holy <laughs> shit the, the tunia lore expert has logged on hello <laughs> hey when i have to cover Wait, like news for every single one of these games you learn things through osmosis vert is the <laughs> xbox character and is the mm-hmm. only one without a sister What's her shtick? She, she, she doesn't have a sister, but what's her shtick? She, she's really she's really into MMOs. She's okay. a she's the gamer. Damn. Where's the well, gotcha gamer? Well, the, the I could say she's the gaming. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the gotcha gamer? Um, probably Vert. Also, to be honest. <laughs> well, well, we talked about uh, with the, talking about the Switch release, how it's very 
I won't go all all the way back into the details of this, but each version has like some strange exclusives. Like the Switch yeah. version has two playable characters that the Xbox version doesn't. In the Xbox version, no matter what, you get the swimsuit uh, DLC, and the Switch well, version you have to get the playable characters the locks. swimsuits. The swimsuits it, that okay. that depends on who you ask, Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam's favorite annual post. Uh, we have a trailer and details for the upcoming Bethesda Elder Scrolls Online expansion. This year, it is called Gold Road. It'll be launching on June 18th. Uh, June 3rd for PC, June 18th for consoles. Oh, I, I see. I see that now. My, my apologies. June 3rd do. PC. I'm assuming they do that just for like... For I'm assuming they, they've always done that. I'm assuming they do that for like stability reasons. Like, all right, let's get the PC base in first. Make sure everything is stable and then get the console base in later. Yeah, uh, it, it might be uh, the the certification process on the consoles that they have to do any hot fixes or anything on the PC base. They can make sure that it gets in there right. for the console release. Um, Speaking as someone who has never developed an MMO for a console, that's my understanding is that doing the certification for the console process is a tricky thing to work around. But also, uh, I guess for Elder Scrolls fans, like this one, you're revisiting areas from Oblivion. Mm-hmm. Like there's been other ones where it's like you're going to like. Morrowind areas. Um, I last year was Necrom. I forget where Necrom took place. Um, but yeah, this is like revisiting Oblivion areas, or at least some. And then we don't have a date for this yet, but we are going to get a physical release of Sean Yon's Sword Mist Beyond the Mountains. We'll get a physical release sometime this year. It's currently available on PC and Switch. Kind of just to tag on to that, they also, um, Sabotage Studio also opened pre-orders for the physical release of Sea of Stars that mm-hmm. you can get. So basically, both of these games, completely different situations, but, you know, released digitally for Switch and other platforms last year. And now, kind of after the fact, you see this more and more often now where they kind of get like a collector's physical version that you can get for those who want to collect something to hold on to. And this the, the last headline that we have here is kind of an interesting one. This is a game we might have actually brought up in passing in an older podcast. Like, where did that game go? Uh, back in 20... Let's see when this was. 2019. 2019. During one of the initial China Hero Project, like Sony initiatives, a developer released a trailer and a concept for a game called AI Limit which was very much like a Nier Automata-inspired action RPG. We thought it was pretty interesting. We covered its initial announcement back in March of 2019. And then, as far as I can tell, it went pretty much dark. I'm there not sure a, if you like There was a published. gameplay trailer after that. Like, okay. June 2019. That same year? Yeah. Gotcha. And then I don't know if like, if you followed like, that publisher's like specific creatives, uh their social media or anything like that, if they got any little tidbits or if you followed like their like hiring practices or studio, but nothing on a formal like announcement front until this week. And it's been announced that AI Limit is set to release this year in 2024 for PlayStation 5 and PC. This included both a Chinese and an English uh, gameplay trailer for the game. Uh, so first of all, one thing that's sort of interesting is that when the game was announced, the publisher was listed as oh one second because I think the publisher changed in the meantime. The publisher was named. Shoot, I don't have it. 
It was a long time ago. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was Palm Pioneer, and now it's Sea Asia, and the, the the studio is Sense Games. But yeah, so this is like a post post apocalyptic action RPG. It does have a character that sort of looks like Tubi, and when it was announced, Nier Automata was a little bit more in vogue. The more recent. Um, so it kind of has like people made that comparison. The, the art style now is a little bit more cell shaded. I saw someone actually compare it to like Code Vein. Yeah, <laughs> that's the first thing I thought of too. Um, so um, now one thing that's sort of interesting is that there's an English trailer and then there's a uh, Mandarin trailer and then there's a trailer with Japanese subtitles, not voices. But according to the Steam page, it'll have just Japanese and Chinese voices, not English. Now, sometimes those Steam pages are wrong, but um, it wouldn't be the first time you have a trailer with, like, English voiceover, but it's only for, like, marketing. But anyway, we're not certain what the voice options will be, but it's, you know, um, this is sort of a debut indie-ish action RPG. Uh, some of the combat stuff looks fluid and fun to me. Uh, coming out this year for PS5 and Steam, so... Yeah, I definitely I'll want to check it out. Yeah, for sure. it's really interesting. Um, th they also mentioned in their... Um... Steam post that, you know, uh, just verbatim from today onwards, AI Limit is coming back. According to the plan, we'll reveal more details, including gameplay, settings, and artworks, future updates. And most importantly, they plan to have a demo and then a release date. So, you know, if you're interested in trying this before buying it, I, I guess they're, they are planning to release a demo for this game. Now, Lost Soul Aside will release any day now. And they... They don't have a release date for that yet, have to do that. Well, that, they my, my point is, is that these games that were showed at like these China, China Hero Project or related showcases, sometimes they go dormant for a while and like yeah. you don't hear from them and they almost feel like they're vaporware. But this one finally got a re update from it. Lost Soul Aside, which is an, another similar situation. We've gotten a few I mean, updates on that one too, but maybe I, that one I guess also I, get us I gotta have it. I gotta hand it to Sony a little on their China Hero project. At least they at least let the developers cook, you know, yeah. for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they're they're not like, hey, you have to meet this deadline, this deadline to really push it out as fast as possible. They really seem committed on giving these teams as a decent amount of time to get their game going. You know, that's 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 definitely nice to see. And that was the last. Uh headline that we had for this episode of the podcast well, of course we have, we, we have a um a busy week ahead of us uh, in terms of new releases yeah so yeah, obviously the uh... big release yeah, the big release for next week that we'll be talking about is the newest uh like a dragon game which is coming out uh on january 26th so you know we'll be talking about that game in the microphone the day after it officially comes out and then it doesn't really slow down from there. We've got Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, Persona 3 Reload, uh, and a bunch of other I stuff can't, going yeah, into February. I, I can't say what game yet, but I did actually have a preview event that I uh, attended this week that I'll be able to talk about on next week's podcast. So that, so yeah, that should be fun. All right, yeah. Sometimes we don't we go into the week not sure what we're going to be talking about. Like I wasn't 100 sure we were going to be talking about Dragon's Dogma this week, but next week we kind of know what we're going to be talking about. Uh, so look forward to that. Please, uh, please tune in. That's right. Um, Tune in for uh, Yonder Knight in Birth 2 at Tekken 8 discussion. That's right. Yes. There you go. Let's go. <laughs> Child, like, I'll, Josh, I'll, I'll Josh, go are you getting, 
Josh, are you getting Undernight on a PC or PlayStation? I don't fucking know if I'm getting any fighting game. I'm thinking about it, but I'm like, dude, there's like so many big ass RPGs as well. <laughs> Nobody gets a fighting game on PlayStation unless they have to, like I, I do. Yeah, yeah. If I, if I were to get any of the fighting games, they would be on a PC. It wouldn't be on PlayStation at all. But I, I keep I keep playing this Tekken 8 demo, so I don't know, man. Look, look, I only got Grand Blue on, on the PlayStation because I needed those codes, and I would yeah, still needed them. <laughs> needed them. Uh, I, I, every time Chow says that, I always just think of the fucking uh, dried out SpongeBob saying, "I need it." <laughs> That's all I you know what I of. feel like when I try to ask for these codes. I feel like that that meme. With that Tepega being like knocked down, <laughs> and with like with, with like the fries and the, the burgers okay. on the ground, and there's like these two girls looking down on him. I feel like that kind of I feel bad because I exactly know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know the image. Fucking hell. Uh... Well, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening to the episode of the TetraCast. You can follow RPG site on all the social media networks. Just search for RPG site on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You should be able to find us. Our Discord is discord.gg uh, slash RPG site. And then obviously our website, rpgsite.net. Um, and we will be back next week with another episode of the TetraCast. So thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, stay safe and take care. We'll talk to y'all later. The wealth will be infinite next time. <laughs>